Today's bonus federal election episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in community organising. We partner with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across the globe to develop community organising strategies and train and develop leaders to build power from within their community. And in 2022, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories and inspire others, take action and organise communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also proudly brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Are you highly organised? I love people who are organised and love working in a fast-paced environment. Morris Blackburn, Australia's leading plaintiff law firm, is looking for an executive assistant to support their deputy CEO for a 12-month fixed-term contract based here in Melbourne. This will include coordinating and supporting the the deputy CEO with high-level administrative assistance, coordinating documents with strong attention to detail, building and managing relationships with key internal and external stakeholders, and providing excellent client service. To apply, simply go to morrisblackburn.com.au forward slash careers. Be part of change and fight for fair. Apply now. Hello and welcome to, as I said before, our bonus episode uh, of Socially Democratic. This is our um, battleground, key seat, path to 76 monster podcast uh, where we're bringing together a whole bunch of folks who um, have got strong um, actual campaign experience for the Labor Party. They've either been um, uh, party secretaries, uh, campaign directors, assistant secretaries, national organisers, state-based organisers. They've all worked for the machine side of the Labor Party and they're bringing their skills, insights and resources to this particular campaign where we are going to break down all the key battleground seats, the marginal seats that Labor either need to hold or that Labor need to gain in order to get to that magical number of 76 to form government in the House of Representatives and win this goddamn election. Um, And so we're going to break all of that down in this episode. So we're going to start in New South Wales with uh, Elliot Stein. Then we're going to move to covering South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria with David Feeney. Then we're going to get on a red-eye flight all the way across to Western Australia to talk to uh, Linda or Shalom. And then we're going to go all the way back across the other side of the country to... Uh, Queensland to have a chat with my old buddy Linus Power and we're going to break down all of the key battleground seats that will determine this campaign. Uh, We'll talk about the demographics, we'll talk about the history, we'll talk about uh, some of the polling, we'll talk about some of the things we're hearing from on the ground. We'll also talk a little bit about um, what the the odds are in terms of the betting. So if you want to lay a couple of uh, bucks on one, one or two seats, Maybe we'll give you a bit of indication of uh, where you should allocate your financial resources um, for uh, for your if you f- fancy a bit of a flutter. Um, so that's today's episode. So uh, it's going to be a long one, but it'll get you through the whole week um, because there's only six days to go until this election is over, and then we'll finally find out who is going to lead our country into uh, the next uh, for the next three or four years, and hopefully it'll be an Albanese Labor government. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite podcast app. Um, be sure to give us five stars on whatever um, podcast app you use and to follow us, um, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Also to remember that we're going to do our final episode um, with David Feeney and Emma Dawson. We've been doing these uh, weekly recaps of the campaign. We're going to do our final recap uh, which will come out uh, probably Thursday night. We'll, we'll record the episode mid, mid, midway 
uh, through the day on Thursday. And we'll try and get it up earlier uh, for you folks so you can have a listen to it over Thursday and Friday whilst you're out door knocking, talking to voters uh, and convincing them to vote for their local Labor candidate because that is the only thing that's left to do in this campaign. It's the only way that we can be effective and use our voice for changes to make calls or knock doors with uh, targeted, undecided or persuadable uh, voters in target seats. And we're going to list all those target seats in this podcast. But if you want to find out how you can volunteer, simply go to either thisislabor.org forward slash volunteer if you live in Victoria. But if you're outside of the state of Victoria and across the country, you simply go to alp.org.au and put your details down and one of the field organisers from those local campaigns will give you a call and jump on one of those races. And if you can't go and knock doors and make calls and donate money, uh, then you can go to um, uh, alp.org.au um, and donate whatever spare cash you've got to the campaign. doesn't matter how late in the campaign, any dollar raised will help support these critical campaigns in these marginal battleground seats right across the country. Okay, let's get to today's monster episode. Okay, we are taping this one on a Friday lunchtime on the land of the Wurundjeri people, but we're actually going to be taping a bunch of episodes uh, over the course of this weekend. As I said in the intro, um, this is your sort of form guide to election 2022, uh, where we're going to break down um, a whole swag of seats across the country, and we're going to be speaking to uh, a bunch of people that have campaign experience for the Labor Party. They might be doing different things these days, um, but they're still heavily involved in politics and campaigning, but they come from a strong campaign experience. They've either been a party secretary or an assistant secretary or a national organiser or a state organiser. Um, and they're going to be uh, they're going to be breaking down all of these seats uh, with me over the course of this episode. And we're going to start in the Premier State. We're going to start in New South Wales. Um, as Paul Keating said, so where goes New South Wales, so goes the country. Um, so I guess it would be the Ohio of Australian politics. And to help me break that down, uh, we've had uh, Elliot Stein on before, but joining us again from Hawker Britain, Elliot Stein, welcome back to Socially Democratic. G'day, thanks for having me. Uh, the last time we were on the show, we uh, we did a, uh, po- I think we did a pre or, a, no, we did a pre-Queensland pre. election uh, analysis, which uh, I had a bunch of people reach out to me saying, Stephen, the fact that you had a conversation about the betting odds was super helpful. I didn't realize there were so many gamblers that listened to this podcast, so <laughs> we included that in today's episode. Uh, we'll talk about odds as well for those who want to put a bit of a little bit of a money, little, little money uh, wager on uh, on some of these races. Um, before we begin, because you're my first guest, let's um, let's actually sort of do a state of play of the uh, the the the. The House of Representatives. Um, there are there are normally 150 seats in the House of Representatives, but there is uh, a new seat added to the House. There's 151 seats going into the new Parliament, so the number that government fo- is formed on doesn't change. It's still 76 seats. You need 76 seats to win government. As it stands right now, the Coalition have 76 seats. Um, Labor has 69, and there's an asterisk next to that because they actually have 68, but. The new seat that's been formed is the seat of Hawk in the western northwestern suburbs of Melbourne, which is being designated as a notional Labor seat. And they've given uh, the way that they've cut the boundaries, it's like a 10% seat to Labor. So instead of Labor having 68, we've got 69 seats and the crossbench have got six. So that means we need six, we need seven seats to, to get to 76 and form, form government. So let's move into New South Wales and um, where do you want to start, uh, Elliot? 
what seats are let's first of all lift up all of the seats do you think they're in play and then let's deep dive into them i think you want to start with the teals to begin with but what are what are the seats that you see as right across the state of new south wales that uh that are up for play in this election uh campaign great well thanks and thanks again for uh having me back uh, and it's good to see that Punters Caucus has infiltrated and got to your uh, got to your listenership as well. So we'll have to dive into some numbers at the end. Um, there, there's three kind of categories. There's the teal seats um, in uh, North Sydney, uh, Wentworth, McKellar to some extent. Uh, obviously, uh, Warringah's already uh, in the held category for them. Uh, there's seats that uh, uh, Labor's on the hunt for in Robertson, Benelong, Reed, Banks. Uh, and there's seats that we need to be defending, uh, Gilmore, Parramatta, uh, Macquarie, um, and, uh, and potentially parts of the Hunter region as well in, in the case of Shortland. So that's, sort of, that's the grab bag of seats that uh, I think uh, people need to be keeping an eye on in so while this time around. Okay, so how we're going to, what we're going to do is, as I'm not going to do a lot of talking, I'm just going to, you're the expert on this, uh, on this subject matter because this is your home state, so you know more about it than I do. So I'm just going to basically just, uh, uh, I guess, facilitate the conversation by just giving the, the listeners a bit of an overview of what the seats look like and then let you dive in on in terms of uh, um, what's what what uh, either uh, national, state or local issues are dictating the way that this campaign's shaping up and what Labor needs to do to either hold or win that seat. But obviously we'll start with the Teals first of all, which is not where Labor's in play, but I think you want to... It's in, it's an interesting topic that everyone wants to talk about. So let's let's talk about the Teals first. What are the teal seats that we're that we're going to be diving into here in uh, in New South Wales? So uh, in New South Wales, the teal seats in particular: uh, Wentworth, North Sydney, McKellar, and Baringa. Uh, so the reason why I want to start with those is that those are the most indicative of what um, Scott Morrison is trying to pull off in this election. Uh, he is um, uh, at risk of losing those seats and has made a calculated decision of instead of going after trying to hold on to those seats, he is quite, in my estimation, quite deliberately jettisoning them with an attempt to jump from one lily pad of constituency to another lily pad of constituencies, uh, which is moving from the, um, uh, not quite inner city, but the, the, the leafy suburbs of Sydney for uh, outer suburban areas. And he's trying to um, bargain off um, seats where um, his core constituency no longer feel represented by the Liberal Party. I was at a business function this morning and there was somebody talking about putting a customer first. Well, the Liberal Party stopped putting its own base first, uh, basically from 2009 onwards when they started playing the most divisive form of climate policy possible and they just had to take the gamble that their own people would continue to hold their nose and vote the ticket. Well, um, ever since Sally Stegall came along, um, communities uh, which don't feel represented by the modern Liberal Party have decided that there's an alternative. Uh, they've looked around and they've found that in people who better represent them um, at an individual seat-by-seat um, -seat level, and that's how the, that's what we can really see the, see the Teal movement as. So I think in those seats of, um, uh, of, of Wentworth, North Sydney and McKellar is the most stark example of where uh, the Prime Minister has just uh, cut those seats loose uh, and gone on the hunt on a values proposition uh, for the West. And obviously it goes um, almost without saying, but the um, antithesis of that, uh, of that strategy is in the candidate selection uh, for the Liberal candidate in Baringa. Um, and uh, you know, as Nikki Sava has reported, 
a campaign being run out of the Prime Minister's office, separate to the party structure, being done deliberately to um, uh, whistle and appeal uh, to voters in seats outside of there, and in doing so, quite quite relaxed about the fact that he is jettisoning uh, parts of the party which don't agree with him. So I think there is a, a, a potential in this election for the most fundamental realignment of the electoral map, um, really, not just in the modern era, but you could, you could go back to 1909 and the fusion. You know, like this is a fundamental reshaping of the map and the, and the sort of constituencies. And there's a bigger, broader lesson in there around how to be a good MP and how to be a good major party around representing the communities that you represent. Uh, but right now, for this purpose, um, it is um, uh, abandoning those seats and going on a march elsewhere. Listening to you just uh, um, talk about this moment, it feels like we are we. I mean, are we witnessing a historical moment in the realignment of Australian politics? Much similar to what happened in the nineteen sixties in the United States, where the Democrats, through the introduction of legislation like the um, the Voting Rights Act, um, uh, in which they essentially, and I think it was um, Johnson who said when he signed that, he said, "I'm signing away the South." You know, the, the Democratic South was basically from that moment on slowly whittled away but at the same time they started to pick up seats in you know the, the liberal um uh, northeast and um and sort of what is now the modern democratic party i mean are we witnessing history right now in which we are seeing the, the liberal party <laughs> throw away its intellectual inner city base for this new proposition and how does labor then deal with that because i mean we've always been juggling this sort of this community of uh, of or coalition of, of of interest within our broad church, which has been the sort of the traditional blue collar, out of suburban, migrant, Catholic, working class base, but then since Whitlam, we had this sort of academic, intellectual, inner city group as well, and we've been trying to balance these two. And I think we've done a reasonably good job of it. Um, I mean, what implications is this for Labor? Do you think? Yeah, and I think that um, that analogy is the right one. I've heard some people talking about, you know, um, the '96 Howard Battler election, for example, or you know the, the Boris Johnson Red Wall um, strategy more recently around Brexit. I don't think those two are analogous because they were sort of um, yes and propositions of taking your existing bag of seats and going and, and breaking into territory which you previously hadn't because of a particular issue, you know, Brexit, for example. Um, this is uh, trying to do about 10 years' worth of electoral realignment in one bite, um, in, in one go, um, whilst you've still got your, got your ankle tethered to um, one set of seats while trying to jump over to a new set of seats. And I think that's why he's sort of falling in between the the two. So yes, I do think it's a really fundamental realignment. Um, uh, what implication have for us? What I've been thinking about recently is um, uh, the the idea of having strong community independence. Uh, and, you know, this time around they are predominantly running in uh, either liberal or national seats because uh, there's there's some other ones which we won't get to today, like um, Hume, for example, where had where there's a great um, great community independent campaign running down there. Uh, against uh, Angus Taylor, but there's no reason why those sort of campaigns couldn't couldn't come against Labor seats. Mm. And so I think the the message and the lesson for us is about um, having good uh, good um, candidate and MP selection, um, having people who represent and are reflective of their communities and are in touch with their communities, and overall having a having a policy mix which is um, where the people are, not just responding to. Um, fringe elements within your own show or taking a short-term political gain outside of where the community expectations are. And that's why I keep coming back to like the great betrayal of the Liberal Party against themselves on climate change. 
Um, and so I think that, yep, there's a, there's a challenge for labour and we've been working through that, I think, over the last 10 or 15 years and, and that's particularly acute, uh, obviously, in parts of Queensland federally and, um, and, and other communities, including the Hunter. Uh, but I think we're getting that mix right um, and I think at, at, the, at the core, we've always kind of understood that um, who we're there to represent and even when, um, it, which is um, labour, organised labour, working people, uh, but what we've been able to do over our um, uh, century-long model, you know, um, history, uh, is move with the times, and 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 keep to that north star of looking after working people, um, even when the mix of who is a worker changes. So, do you want to move now to? Is that a good segue to talk about labour and what we need to hold in this situation right now? Because obviously there are there's a number of seats there you've just listed. You talked about Gilmore, Parramatta, Macquarie. I chucked Shortland on the list anyway because I just want to get your thoughts on that. I'd heard a rumour that we we're a little bit worried about Shortland, but maybe it's not the case. But let's talk. Do you want to talk about Gilmore, Parramatta, and uh, Macquarie to to start with? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, as part of um, the flip side to um, Morrison's strategies, he needs to win seats off us in order to um, offset the losses that he's accepting on teal seats. Um, for us, that means we need to be defending uh, Gilmore, Parramatta, and Macquarie. Um, uh, we'll start with uh, Macquarie, um, and I was uh, up there earlier in the week. Uh, that's a real knife edge um, result. Uh, fantastic local MP in Susan Templeman um, holds the seat currently by by a handful of a couple of hundred votes. I think it's a 0.2 percent margin or something. Uh, so that's a real real knife edge um, sort of one. Um, uh, my anecdotal evidence on the ground uh, was that. Um, uh, and this is sort of reflected across the board. Um, there was not a great deal of ground gain from the, from the libs in that uh, in that electorate. Um, you know, I think there's a broader story about the state of the New South Wales division of the Liberal Party right now. But um, for my observation on the ground, that wasn't there. You obviously got Susan, who's got um, uh, incumbency, and and uh, particularly through some more recent natural disasters and floods, has been a very active and very a uh, very good representative of her community. So I'm confident of us being able to retain off the back of um, uh, Susan's hard work, but that's one to keep an eye on on election night, just given how close it is. You know, it's a little bit here, a little bit there. Something odd could happen. Um, but on the basis of the hard work, I'm sure that uh, she'll be doing her best to get there. Um, uh, Parramatta um, is a little bit different. Uh, Parramatta, I think, in the Prime Minister's eye, would be that sweet spot of where he would want to be uh, going after, I think he's been there now five or six times during this campaign. I think it's one of the very few electorates he feels comfortable showing his face in. Um, uh, it's got a, a very, very popular retiring sitting MP. Um, uh, there was very late candidate selection. Object, you know, objectively, there was late candidate selection from both sides. Um, in fact, the Liberal Party was even uh, was even later than us in uh, in in selecting somebody for a seat which is a, um, you know, would be a must-win for them. So, again, that speaks to the disorganisation, disarray of a show where they could be looking to pick up a seat like this. Um, very, very, um, very diverse, very multicultural, um, uh, but also, I think, where the cost of living um, crisis would be, be feeling most acute. Uh, and so... Um, uh, or it's the sort of seat I think where Morrison would, would be wanting to try to do some of his value proposition um, uh, arguments, particularly in um, highly religious communities, um, 
uh, or um, uh, uh, other sort of communities. Um, but I think that's coming at a at a cross with that cost of cost of living crisis as well. Uh, that Andrew Chapman's working his working his butt off. Um, uh, and when I was in Parramatta a few days ago, um, uh, he's got an amazing science art game, uh, and he is um, uh, he is everywhere. He is absolutely everywhere. Uh, and so he's doing good work there as well. Um, and Gilmore, um, uh, Gilmore again, um, a must win for the Liberal Party. It's one of the few where they. Um, they got their act together comparatively earlier than other seats. It was, it was late last year after a very messy tussle between a number of Liberal Party. That's where they've dropped in a, um, uh, a former State Minister for Transport, Andrew Constance, who was the State Member for Bega. Uh, now, it's worth noting that in the Bega by-election uh, that Labor picked that up first time, I think, uh, in Savile's political history, that we've picked up that through the amazing Dr Michael Holland. Uh, and the seat of Bega... Um, which uh, Constance represented. The only overlap there is um, is Batons Bay. So uh, at the seat of B goes from Batons Bay to the border, uh, whereas the seat of Gilmore goes from Batons Bay to Kayama. Uh, for those familiar with the um, for the south coast, um, that's a, that's a tough one. Obviously, we've got a, a, a fantastic sitting sitting MP in Fiona Phillips, but first term MP, um, and uh, given the high profile. Um, nature of the Liberal candidate against her in Constance and someone who's, um, you know, came to particular prominence, you know, ironically came to prominence by being against Morrison uh, during the bushfires. Um, uh, I thought at the start of the campaign, I thought that um, effectively we'd, we'd both be running anti-Morrison campaigns, but uh, I think Constance has been um, mugged by reality and had to <laughs> fall into line. Uh, and, you know, and there is a... Um, uh, there is both positives and negatives from everyone in the community knowing who you are uh, because they know who you are. Uh, and, uh, for example, Batman's Bay, uh, which was the only overlap between the two seats, had tremendous swings towards Labor at the state by-election. Different issues, different candidates, I'll grant you. But um, uh, I think uh, I think the, the easy run that um, Constance might have thought he had by getting into federal parliament uh, might not be there for him. The anger that we saw so openly on the television during the bushfires, um, albeit a long time ago now, we've had a global pandemic since then, but I'm assuming that it must still uh, resonate heavily amongst voters in the, on the ground. Like I just, when I look at Gilmore and I know that, you know, it's a tight margin, 2.6% uh, Labor holds a seat by, and even you look at the betting odds, like it's $1.80 for Fiona and $1.95 for Constance. Um, there's not much in it, but geez, I just imagine, I would assume, and I want to get your sense of what we're feeling on the ground, people must be just pissed off at Morrison. I mean, um, the world moves on pretty quick and we've had a, a bucket load of issues between now and then, but it doesn't move on too quick if you're still living in temporary housing or uh, caravans or whatever because you've not had the federal assistance that you require to get up off your um Get up off your feet and get back into get back into housing. And when you've got someone who is synonymous with playing ukuleles and going to Hawaii, that would just be resonating very, very strongly, very, very strongly. Like I said, like the the, the counter to that is that uh, at the time of the bushfires, um, Constance was as anti-Morrison as they come. Um, I think, given that during the campaign, people have seen him do a number of joint appearances and you know uh, fall into line as a um, as a Morrison man, I think would be undercutting any of the advantage that he got from that from that profile during that period, and they don't forget. 
And strategically, it's such a stupid idea. Like if you're going to put him up, you're thinking, I mean, it makes sense. Okay, let's get the guy that probably is the best insider-outsider that we can possibly run. Then let him be that person. Don't, I would say to Morrison, you are not going to Gilmore and you're never going to stand next to that guy. He's our best chance of actually hanging on to that seat. So let him, you know, let, let Bartlett be Bartlett. Yeah. Let, let Constance be Constance. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it undermines your strategy. And um, uh, look, had they run that, and we don't have the time to get into it now, but if, if they'd run a purely let Constance be Constance type strategy, um, uh, I can spend the next hour talking about his failings as a New South Wales Transport Minister, if you like, and how we would have hung that around his neck just as much as well uh, between uh, trains with doors that go flying off, between ferries that can't operate in the ocean, between ferries that decapitate on the Parramatta River uh, and uh, uh, light rail with cracks in it and all of it's coming from overseas. Um, he is not the star candidate. Brilliant. Love it. Okay, so let's uh, – oh, Shortland. As I said to you before, I just wanted to get your sense about the Hunter because, you know, it preoccupied our minds for a, a number of uh, months, you know, sort of way back. We had Joel Fitzgibbon having a, you know, shit fight with everyone in the low party on the front page of the Australian constantly, and it was like, oh, can we just, just put a dampener on this? How are we feeling about a seat like Shortland? And broadly speaking, how are we feeling about the Hunter? Yeah, I've got Hunter in that category of – of seats that um, I thought we'd be talking a lot more about, but we haven't. And I've been quite surprised by how little time um, that Morrison has spent there, given some of the margins, given um, some of the, you know, the, the complex issues that we're managing through in, uh, in terms of a changing energy mix. Um, uh, but uh, we have done, um, you know, outstanding work with our um, candidate selection there, the world's tallest man in, in Daniel. Um, uh, in uh, uh, replacing replacing Joel um, and uh, some some really good fighters in in Pat Conroy in Shortland as well. Um, so I'm I'm confident, and I think the fact that we're not that we haven't really been discussing them, we haven't seen much activity there in a meaningful way, um, shows you where the two majors think the uh, think that race is as well. Which is odd because picking up from the conversation that we just had before about the teals, if you're trading off seats in a city for this out of suburban thing, surely, you know, the central argument that's undermining the Liberal Party position in the inner city is climate change. So therefore you double down on the other side of that argument and that is in the hunter. And I think that's where, um, uh, that's where he has tried to, the, the Prime Minister is trying to do too much of the strategy too quickly. Like the strategy to push into... Um, the hunter, um, you can't do it at the same time as you're telling uh, uh, Wentworth, Kuyong, Goldstein um, and others that you believe in climate change and you're going to get to net zero uh, by 2050 and you hand on heart believe it and it's, and it's true and then at the other side of your mouth try to say something different to peel people off um, uh, off labour in the, in the hunter. I think... Um, uh, he, he can't do both at the same time. Even though he's effectively jettisoning and not putting too much effort into them, they're still keeping up appearances. Uh, so I think that's that's part of the failing of the strategy. Or it could just well be that none of this has been particularly well thought through and, uh, you know, we're giving more too much credit. But, you know, we'll do that as well. Before we move on to the seats that we need to gain from the Tories, um, just want to get your um, your analysis of Gilmore, Parramatta, Macquarie, Shortland in terms of um, Labor holds. Do you feel confident we'll hold all four? I do. Lovely. So we'll mark them all down on our. I'm going to. I'm totalising this across the, these uh, these episodes to uh, keep a track to get to 76. So that, there you go, folks. You've heard it from uh, Elliot that we are going to hold those four seats. 
uh, Gilmore, Parramatta, Shortland, Macquarie. Uh, looking at the betting there just quickly, what, uh, what what kind of money line are we happy there with? Gilmore, dollar eighty. That's probably the best looking because uh, uh, Pat Connery is at a dollar ten. Templeton's a dollar fourteen. Anton Charlton's dollar twenty five. Uh, Gilmore, uh, Fiona Phillips, dollar uh, eighty. I'd probably that's probably the best looking bet, right? Yeah, I'm just pulling that up as well. Uh, yeah, of them with the numbers there, um, Gilmore's probably got the best bit of value sitting in it. Uh, but on the basis of those numbers, they all look all look about right. Lovely. But yeah, Gilmore's probably got a little bit of money in there if you want to, you know, offset the uh, offset the lack of the wage rise that the promise is not giving you. Exactly. Got to make our money somehow. Okay, let's uh, let's move to the uh, Tory seats. Um, we've got Reid, yep. Robertson, Benelong, uh, and uh, and was Hughes one as well that we wanted to talk about? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Hughes at the end because um, it's it's in a it's an award unto itself, Hughes. Okay. Um, but uh, Reid, Robertson, and Benelong um, are places where um, if we are going to make gains uh, from our side, that's where we're that's where we're going to going to do it. Um, we've uh, got um, stellar candidate selection in all three of those seats. Um, Sally C2 in Reed, um, Dr. Gordon Reed in Robertson, just to um, confuse your listeners, and uh, and, and the amazing Jerome in, in Bedalong. Um, uh, I've not had a chance to get on the ground in, um, in uh, Reed or Robertson just yet, but I did, did spend some time in um, in Benelong earlier on um, with both Jerome and Senator Ayres and uh, uh, in um, uh, in in the heart of Ride. Um, now, uh, you know, granted, Ride is where um, is where Jerome was the uh, was the mayor. He was a very popular mayor. He's been in public life for nine years in that community. Um, uh, you know, I I saw him working that I saw him working in that booth. Everyone knows him. Um, uh, there was a lot of people patting him on the back for putting his hand up of running. Um, and so I think um, there was a very interesting, very interesting mood in in Benelong. Um, uh, something was happening in both Benelong and Reed um, and and Banks as well. And um, I want to be you know very obvious that I'm not an expert in in what I'm about to say, but I'll put it on the table for those who might be uh, better than me. But I think that there, you know, anecdotally and what I've um, read and seen from farm community polling. Um, a, a mood shift within the um, uh, community of Australians with Chinese heritage, uh, or um, or people with Chinese backgrounds or, or, or family connections. Um, I noticed it. Uh, I noticed it in Banks in in Hurstville. Um, uh, I noticed it uh, in Benelong. Um, I've seen some some polling and some sentiment issue tracking, um, and and I think we can sort of imagine the sort of sort of issues and the sort of carry on you've seen from people like Peter Dutton. As sitting underneath that, um, like I said, I'm 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 far from an expert in that field, and I don't want to um, uh, overstate it. But I think um, if there are significant swings towards Labor um, in those two seats in particular, um, a, a, there'll be a, a narrative will form after the election around um, uh, how uh, how Morrison treated uh, that community, um, and and you've seen that in their you know they're atrocious, but also um, flip-flopping language around, um, you know, mentoring candidates and all sorts of nonsense. Um, you've seen them sort of go out there trying to do one thing, realising it wasn't working in other community, pulling it back, trying something else. Um, if there's big swings towards Labor in those in those parts of the community, 
um, sorry, notes to electorates, and I think there'll be a narrative formed around um, uh, what caused that. Uh, but in terms of those those three, um, I think Reed and Bendelong are, are really solid, um, uh, and and potential potential gains. Uh, Robertson's a harder ask, but we've got um, uh, an amazing person in in Doctor Doctor Reed um, there, and if Doctor Michael Holland taught us anything from from the bigger by election, is that um, uh, good community minded popular local docs do pretty well. So uh, so I'll be keeping an eye on him as well. Ali, can I ask you here because the um the the margin that the Liberals hold the seat of Reid is three point two percent. They hold um and so that's you know it seems eminently gettable. And uh, Sally Situ looks like a fantastic ca- candidate. And her interview the other day on um, on radio with the uh, Liberal incumbent Fiona Martin was just spoke volumes of the intrinsic racism that exists within that political organisation. Um, you just said that you thought Benelong looks good. Uh, unless my stats are wrong here, Benelong, I've got it on a Liberal margin of 6.9%, whereas Robertson's only 42 yet you think that we're probably a slightly better chance in Benelong than Robertson. What, what's your thinking behind that? Uh, uh, having it, it's, it's a lot of anecdotal sitting in it, I'll be, I'll be honest, but having seen, um, having seen uh, how our campaign is running there, the engagement that he's getting within that community, the, um, the long tenure of his public life um, and public service uh, in that community, uh, and potentially the, um, the um, uh, shifting within Australia, the Chinese heritage uh, community as well, uh, I think that's a, that, that, that's a real shock. So um, uh, I was joking to an audience before uh, in a different context that... Um, uh, the good thing about election predictions is that no one ever invites you back on the Monday to tell you that you got it wrong. So I'm going to stick my neck out and say uh, I'm very confident on reading better. Um, and and uh, you know, bravo to you for being courageous. All we want is courageous people on this podcast because I'm the idiot that sat on the steps of uh, St Patrick's Cathedral in New York the day before the 2016 election and gave an interview for ABC Radio back in Australia when they said who's going to win, and I said Hillary Clinton is going to shit it in. And, uh, you know, I've never, you know, I just think, fine. I'm, it's, I, you know, I've been, I've ran through the streets naked now. I can't get any more embarrassed. <laughs> you know? um, okay, that's great. So Reid and, uh, and Benelong are a potential gain for, for Labor. So let's mark, mark them down. Um, and lastly, you wanted to have a bit of a yarn about uh, Hughes. Talk us through Hughes. Uh, just for the folks at home, it's a Liberal held seat by 9.8%. Jenny, where's the, uh, the, the Liberal? I don't even know about Hughes. She's the incumbent, I'm yeah. assuming, right? Not, not no, no. No, uh, Riley running yeah. against him. Twenty-one bucks for Riley if you want to put some money on Riley. So uh, Hughes, talk us through Hughes. So Riley's a, a great bloke and uh, working uh, working very very hard in territory that um, uh, in, in other contexts we've all seen campaigns where you don't work as hard. Um, uh, but he is doing great stuff. And I saw him on Monday, and I've, I've said all this to um, to him as well. Um, so Hughes. Uh, is actually Craig Kelly's current seat. So it is currently held by Craig Kelly, who is now uh, has changed to um, to the United Australia Party. Uh, he is running uh, as the UAP candidate and incumbent. Uh, Jenny Ware is the Liberal candidate. Very, very, very late pre-selection. If if you remember that whole grab bag of seats that were being negotiated between um, Perrottet and Morrison, um, Hughes was part of that. There was a tussle over whether um, a state MP would be um, uh, dragooned into running and therefore cause a by-election and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of tension there. In the end, they've ended up with Jenny Ware. There's also in that seat a non a non teal uh, community independent, which is uh, an, an orange 
and Orange Canada. Um, but she's uh, uh, running on issues that would sound very familiar about um, climate integrity, um, uh, those sorts of issues. And he's running effectively what, what you'd recognise as a teal independent, but for, but for colour. Uh, and um, I'm fairly certain she has, um, she publicly said she's received money from, uh, from the Climate 200 movement as well. Um, and then you've got um, uh, Riley, who was working his backside off. Um, I've never seen someone do so many train stations and letterboxing in, in, in seats of margins of that size. Um, he was also a very late um, pre-selection uh, by us as well. The candidate we had chosen, unfortunately, had some um, had some citizenship issues that could not be resolved. Uh, if we cast our mind back to a few years ago about about the constitution, um, which continues to rear its head. So, at the very last minute, Riley stepped stepped up to the plate, um, and he's. He and actually, and so the neighbouring seat is a seat of Cook, Scott Morrison's seat, and um, Simon Earle there, if you don't um, uh, follow him on, on Twitter, is, um, I don't, don't speak ill of, of past candidates, but I've never seen a harder working uh, Labor candidate for Cook in recent memory. So he is doing, uh, he is doing amazing stuff over there. And both he and Riley have sort of decided to throw him they've got um, at these two seats. So I think, um, uh, look, the, the conventional wisdom, uh, is that it's a liberal seat? It will revert to being a liberal seat, and and this is all just sort of colour and movement. Um, there is a scenario you could see uh, where this is a Stephen Bradbury style uh, result, but I can't tell you who Stephen Bradbury is right now in that field. Uh, but I think that is one on the night to keep to keep an eye on because goodness knows how the AEC is going to decide to allocate a two PP vote on the night. They'll do it between Liberal and Labor, but I think it'd be make more sense actually to do it of Liberal versus the Orange Independent, uh, based on I, I should have known as well. Like this, this this independent candidate has been in the field for um, uh, eight months. They've had a campaign. They've got a campaign office opposite the Ingerdean Mackers, uh, where they run their um, they run they've been running their campaign. Um, uh, you know, I drive through that electorate fairly regularly from my place up to um, to Sydney, and uh, from one end of the um, one of the electorate to the other, it is blanketed. In, uh, in Georgia Steel corporates. Uh, so um, uh, weirder things have happened. So keep an eye on Hughes. That's super interesting. I um, did some training late last year with some uh, SDA delegates um, up in New South Wales and they were the Maccas delegates at the Engadine Maccas. And I said, how often do you get asked about the, you know, the story about the Prime Minister? And they said, all the time, like everyone comes in. You can tell who's not the local because that's what they're asking. They're basically coming there because it's like going to Disneyland for political, you know, um, Weirdos. It's my um, it's 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 my regular coffee stop. It's where I stop because it's sort of the halfway. Is it mark. really? It's it's the halfway mark between my joint and the city. So, uh, I've been I've been well familiar with the um with the Ingerdean Macca's drive-through for a long time, and now on on the walls of the Ingerdean Macca's drive-through, there is some very um, pointed uh, Scotty Marsh uh, street art on the neighbouring private buildings. So you get to see a very big picture of Scott Morrison. Uh, when you uh, when you're ordering your um your your McCafe flat white, fantastic and and from SDA uh, union members as well. It's a heavily organised uh, McDonald's store there as well. So you should say hello to the to the folks there when you go through next time with you. Uh, one thing I did ask you out of the teal seats, which ones do you think that um that the Tories might may drop on election night? Uh, I I, uh, I I think both Wentworth and North Sydney. Uh, really, uh, we'll go. Yeah. Okay, that's huge. I I. I, I I should add that there is um, that North Sydney, that Labor's candidate in, in Catherine Renshaw is um, 
uh, working very, very hard um, and, is, and is putting in a, a real show of a campaign. Um, and I think it's telling that in um, sort of you know, the Sky News debates um, in North Sydney, it was a three-person race, sorry, a, a three-person debate with um, Labor, Liberal and, um, and the community, sorry, and the Climate 200 Independent. Uh, but in Wentworth, it was just um, uh, uh, Sharma versus Bender. So um, I, I think that's of, of note that people are seeing North Sydney is a three-horse race, but as others have pointed out, not a seat we've ever held since Federation, it would seem very unlikely. But that one is uh, shaping up to be a potential three-horse race. But I still think on balance it will go, um, will go independent. Interesting. Well, you've heard it there, folks. Um, chalk down a, a labour hold for um, Gilmore, Parramatta, Macquarie uh, and Shortland. Uh, potential labour gain uh, for Reed and Benelong and a liberal loss to the Teals in uh, Wentworth and uh, North Sydney. Elliot. Stein from Hawker Britain, thank you very much for coming back on the show again. We really appreciate uh, your insights for today's episode. Uh, we wish you luck with uh, your endeavours uh, on election day, wherever you may. Where will you be on election day? Uh, I'll be handing out that uh, the, the rule library for Alison Burns and Cunningham. Good man. All right, then. We'll talk to you soon. Wonderful. Thanks, man. Cheers. Okay, let's uh, let's keep this train going, and we're now uh, going to take a look at the states of South Australia, Tasmania, and uh, Victoria. And to help me do that um, is uh, a bloke that you know you, you invited around to come for dinner, and he ends up staying on your couch for the next six months. Um, he, he, you know, I invited him for one podcast, and now I feel like I'm talking to him every day. David Feeney, welcome back to Social Democratic. I only spoke to you yesterday. <laughs> It's good to be back, yeah. And, you know, what are we going to do tomorrow? I know. Um, so we've been charged, well, you've been charged with the uh, the job of covering what I'm calling the other states, which is not Queensland, New South Wales or uh, Western Australia, and that is South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria. I want to start in the your state of origin and the state that I called home for five years, South Australia. Um, now the People's Republic of South Australia after a great win by Peter Malinowskis and the Labor team over there just recently. Yeah. And we're going to look at the seat of Boothby because that's what's that's the seat that we always look at when it comes to the South Australian uh, federal seats. It's the seat of Boothby. And year after year, our friends in South Australia always promise us, this is the year we're going to win Boothby. But the question I put to you, David Feeney, is, is this finally the year that we're going to win Boothby? Well, the first thing I'd say in defence of my South Australian brothers and sisters is they've always been very sceptical about Boothby. It's usually people from outside the state who insist we're going to win it. Um, I've always found the locals to have a far more realistic appraisal. Um, uh, uh, But this could be the year. And let me tell you why. Because the last time Labor won Boothby, 1943, uh, Curtin was Prime Minister, launched his campaign in Perth. (laughs) And the other interesting thing about 1943 was it was a year when the Japanese Imperial Army was on Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands. So here we are, 2022, Labor's launched its campaign in Perth. And once again, thanks to Liberal ineptitude, there is a potential enemy in Guadalcanal. Maybe these factors will have cosmic influence. But uh, uh, there are some more fundamentals uh, (laughs) you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, It's a retiring MP. Um, and previously in Boothby, when the MP has retired, as Southcott did in 2016, that has meant that the Liberal campaign and Liberal vote in that seat has suffered. Um, so the fact that the MP is retiring is good for Labor. Uh, 
it was, interestingly enough, in 2019, the only seat to swing to Labor um, uh, in South Australia. But that is a little bit of a misnomer because mm. while there was a 1.1% swing in two-party preferred terms, in fact, Nicole Flint's primary vote, the Liberal candidate's primary vote, went up by 3.5%. Uh, but Labor's only chasing 1.4% um, uh, on the 21st of May in this seat. Uh, and I think uh, there are some interesting possibilities. Um, the Labor candidate, Louise Miller-Frost, is up against... Um, new Liberal candidate, uh, Rachel Swift, but there is an independent, Joe Dyer, in the race. And it'll be very interesting to see how she goes. She's uh, was a contemporary of mine at Adelaide University. She uh, is, has gained prominence in recent times um, thanks to Christian Porter and his travails. Um, and so she will be an interesting um, force in that campaign. And whatever impact she has, I imagine it will be an impact that works to Labor's advantage. Um, in terms of some of the demographics of the seat, it still looks demographically like pretty good Liberal real estate. 81.5% um, speak English at home, 65% born in Australia, only 34% um, of the electorate say they have no religion. So those three sort of rough and ready um, demographics suggest that it's not obvious Labor country, um, but it is certainly marginal country and if the state is swinging towards Labor and if Joe Dyer is running interference on the Liberal campaign and message uh, then I think we can have some quiet optimism about Boothby. Last thing I'd say is that um, as you and I both know the South Australian Labor machine is a particularly impressive one um, and the same cannot be said of their Liberal opponents. Mm. Uh, the, the, the two main parties in South Australia have had a vast difference in terms of um, the capacity of Labor versus the divisions and amateurism of uh, the state Liberals. Um, so that makes me suspect um, that Labor's campaign on the ground um, is going to be a far uh, better and more targeted operation. And to that point, um, our brothers and sisters in the South Australian branch tend to be a reasonably grounded group of individuals. They don't get too carried away with, um, um, you know, um, uh, predictions and, and feelings about the seat. Normally when you can ask someone over there about how they're feeling, they'll, they'll kind of give you a decent answer. And I did text uh, one of our colleagues before the show. I asked them, what are our feelings about Boothby? And they texted me back, lock. So there you go. You've heard it here first. And, and certainly the money that's being put on these two seats, uh, um, Labor, Louise Miller-Frost is $1.29, whereas Rachel Swift is um, $5. So um, a lot of money has been put into Labor, which suggests that finally this seat is coming back to Labor. And, you know, it's one seat, but it'll be a big deal for the state. It'll mean there's a 6-4 split between Labor and uh, the Liberal Party in the state, breaking 5-5 lock um getting six out of ten is a very good effort it's a fantastic effort and in in you know as we're going to discuss across all of these um um races not just here in the, the states that we're going to look at david but across the country um it's a knife fight um between the 2016 and the 2019 federal campaign the national electorate didn't really move that much um, and if we are going to form government we have to pick up any opportunity, any opportunities, any sort of creases that we can sort of run through that we need to grab, and if Boothby's one of them, then, then you know we'll, we'll take it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's put. Um, are we are we confident about putting uh, Boothby down as a labour gain for the uh, for the campaign? 
I think I'd describe it as likely. <laughs> okay. I'm putting it as a gain. All right, let's go to Tasmania. Let's go to Tasmania. And the, the, it's five uh, federal electorates in the, uh, on the Apple Isle. Uh, the three that we're going to look at is, is Braddon, Bass and, uh, and Lyons. Um, mm-hmm. Braddon is a 3.1% margin for the, for the Libs. Uh, Bass is a 0.4% margin for the Libs and Lyons is a 5.2% margin for Labor. Let talk us, talk, where do you want to start with your name in Tasmania, David? Um, well, I guess maybe we'll start with Lyons, uh, because at 5.2% Labor seat, you, your first instincts would be, um, that it's a Labor seat and we're going to hold it. Uh, Brian Mitchell won it in 2016. But um, it's not really as simple as that because uh, in 2019, uh, the Liberal candidate was disendorsed in the middle of the campaign for, um, you know, that curse of modern campaigns, having said something stupid in social media um, some years earlier. Um, And so uh, Brian and and Labor had a pretty easy run in the seat in 2019. Um, So that... I, I worry that that 5.2% seat uh, margin um, is perhaps not as strong as it might appear at first blush. Lyons is a big seat. It's the biggest seat in Tasmania. It sort of sprawls across the Midlands. Um, it, it's made up of lots of different communities um, and so lots of micro economies and lots of micro issues. It's a much easier seat to win if you're an incumbent and we have that advantage I think Labor and Brian will hold it. Uh, Brian's not getting the donkey vote, which is a noteworthy thing. Uh, but it, it's not going to be the lay-down mazaire that um, some might assume it to be. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Talking to some folks down in Tassie, they feel um, they feel optimistic about Lions. Um, they were a little bit nervous about it, apparently, at the start of the campaign, but they've started to come down and they're, they're feeling that, uh, that, that uh, Lions is, is a Labor hold. Where do you want to go next? Uh, well, let's talk about Braddon. Braddon's uh, an interesting seat. I've spent some time in there in previous campaigns with Sid Sidebottom. Braddon is generally held to be um, good country for the Liberal Party, um, and we see that in Tasmanian state elections. Uh, Sid Sidebottom, however, did have a good track record of winning this seat. I think he won it four times, lost it just once. Um, but uh, and, and Justine Key was Labor's candidate who won it back from the Liberal Party in 2016. Then because of citizenship issues, which I know a little bit about, um, <laughs> she was forced to resign and contest a by-election, which she won in July mm. of 2018 and would have broken a lot of Liberal hearts with that victory, but then went on to lose it in the 2019 election. Uh, which was a, a, a bit of a shock, I've got to say. Having held it in the by-election, I thought she'd hold it in the general. She didn't. There was a 4.8% swing. So um, yeah, the Liberal candidate, Gavin Pearce, was elected in 2019. The seat, uh, not quite as disaggregated as um, uh, Lyons, but still a big seat with lots of different communities in it and lots of different micro-issues in it. Logging, for instance... Um, and the logging industry is a, is a factor there. Um, I think this is going to be very, very close. Labor is not getting the donkey vote here. Liberals have incumbency. Um, it is generally held to be the toughest terrain in Tasmania for Labor, um, although, you know, we have won it. Um, and, and, and as recently as uh, July 2018, we've won it. Um, so... Uh, I think this is a possible Labor gain, but it's going to be right down to the wire. 
and preferences will be everything. Yeah, it's um, it, it, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a tough so Tasmania is tough. It's a weird bloody state, and I mean that with love. Um, because there are times where that state just comes home for us and there are times when it absolutely kicks us in the pants. And I know in 2019, as you said before, we were a little bit shocked about what the results gave us in Tasmania and it actually kind of undermined. We had some gains in New South Wales and we kind of traded it for uh, the, the losses in Tasmania, which was really unfortunate. Um, I mean, demographically, all of the seats we're talking about, Lions, Bass and Braddon, you know, are qu- have quite conservative demographic DNA. They are you know, the 75 to 80 percent born in Australia. Um, English is sort of 93, 95, 98 percent spoken at home. Um, people with no religion is generally only a third of the population. So, you know, this, these these communities are very white. They're very culturally conservative, um, and uh, uh, that makes it uh, sometimes a challenge for Labor. Um, making sure that its messaging in the state is hitting the right note. Yeah. Um, Chris Lynch, the Labor candidate, is paying $1.65, whereas Gavin Pearce, the incumbent, is $2.10. So that does suggest that someone knows something. There's a bit of money being thrown on the Labor candidate. But like you said, pretty cl- too close to call. I'm going to say it's a Labor, uh, sorry, a Liberal um, retain um, for, 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 um, for Braddon. I just don't know if we can get, a, get over the line. All right, now, see, I say that aloud now. I actually think that maybe we might jag it. Oh, we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's hear your thoughts on Bass before we make some decisions about Tasmania in general. Well, Bass is generally known as the ejector seat. Um, nobody gets to win it twice. Uh, it's literally changed hands at every election, I think, for the last eight elections. Um, it, uh, and so uh, is the current Liberal... Um, going to be the first in a long time to win it twice in a row. Uh, it's only a 0.4% margin. The seat's really centred on Launceston. Uh, I think about 75% of electors are found in Launceston. Um, my pick is that Labor will jag bass. Wow. Uh, because, it, now, I mean, it is often said that... Um, you know the incumbency is a is a is a virtue, but that doesn't seem to be the history of Bass. Um, so I think uh, I think this is one Labor can win. Yeah, I just don't know which one it is. I'm with you on that. I think we may win one seat off the Tories in Tasmania. I just don't know which one it is. I'll I'll cede it to you, David. If you think we're going to jag Bass, then uh, let's put uh, Bass down as a uh, as a Labor gain and Braddon as a Liberal hold. All right. Let's get on the the, uh, the Tasman, load the car up and he- head across uh, Rocky Bass Strait and return to our, uh, our home state of Victoria where we've yeah. got a bunch of seats we want to look at. We want to look at Chisholm, Higgins, Karangamite, Goldstein, Kuyong and uh, maybe we were going to talk about um, McEwen but I don't think we probably need to now. But um, let's, start with, um, let's start with the Labor holds and let's start with Karangamite which is uh, the incumbent as Libby... Coca Labor holds it by exactly point one percent. So hold it by one percent. What are your thoughts on uh, on Karangamite? Well, Victoria, of course, this time goes up to having thirty nine seats. I think it's worth making the point the coalition only holds fifteen of those. So Victoria is the uh, jewel in Labor's crown uh, with twenty one theoretically. If we winning Hawke, and we will twenty two out of thirty nine seats with one independent, one green, and fifteen coalition. So this is a critical state 
overall for a Labor victory because in some ways it goes towards offsetting um, the great LNP advantage that comes out of Queensland. Um, I'm feeling optimistic about Corangamite. Uh, Livy Coker is an incumbent uh, and has all the benefits of that. She's got the donkey vote, uh, which is a useful thing when your margin's 1.1%. Um, and uh, it is an interesting seat demographically because it keeps shedding regional districts as it moves closer and closer into um, Geelong itself. Um, and that's why we see um, only 63% of the electorate is born in Australia. Um, it, it, that's not to say the Liberals aren't giving it a red-hot go, at least in terms of they pre-selected well here, I think. Um, Stephanie Asher, uh, an ex-mayor of Geelong, um, well, in fact, I th and probably resigned just to contest the seat. I think she was the mayor right up until uh, the campaign. Uh, and you know, a, a, a credible-looking, credible-sounding candidate. But notwithstanding that, um, it doesn't look like the Liberals at a central level have decided this is one for them to win. Mm. Um, that We haven't seen um, their central campaign headquarters put a big investment into this seat. Um, and Labor's machine in Geelong, I think, is good and feeling good about Corangamite. So... Uh, my my tip is that um, Libby Coker and Labor will hold Corangamite. Yeah, it's an interesting seat. You're right. That point about the seat slowly, its uh, boundary slowly moving in towards or that urban part of Geelong, the urban sprawl from the in the south of the of the of the city. Um, Armstrong Creek is uh, a suburb that's just getting bigger and bigger um, every month, um, and a lot of people. Uh, that are living there are folks that have moved from Melbourne who um, have and taken full advantage of the fact that you can now work from home and they've moved to Armstrong Creek and they're working from home even though their jobs are in Melbourne because it's you know reasonably priced housing and uh, and a great um, place to raise a family. So there's a lot of people that are moving down there. There probably are Labor voters that are moving into that party electorate, which I think will help uh, Labor and uh, and Libby. Uh, from my, my reports on the ground is that the Liberal campaign is almost, it's not non-existent, but it's not strong. Morrison's only been there once. So to support your argument that the central campaign really isn't, isn't investing in Corangamite um, is only bodes well for Labor. Um, and the reaction certainly on the doors is it's not overly negative towards Labor. They said it was a bit of a knife fight in 2019. Yeah, um, for sure. A lot of and vote. the Liberal put a big effort in then. They did. I mean, it was it was an incumbent. It was you know at the time that was the seat that they held. So to actually to win it in the election campaign was amazing, and hopefully incumbency will support uh, the Labor candidacy this time around. So I think I'm with you. I think Corangamite is a hold for Labor, and so do the uh, the punters. A dollar twenty five for Libby Coker and three dollars sixty five for Stephanie Asher. So that doesn't um, look great for the Tories uh, in Corangamite. Quickly, I just want to talk about um, uh, Higgins. Uh, sorry, McEwen. My apologies, McEwen. Um, Held by Rob Mitchell. I worked on Rob's campaign when he won it in 2010. I think Stephen Conroy sent me in there just to say, get that bloke knocking on doors and making calls. So I was, I was like, uh, I was like Tony Liberatore. I was just, I placed a tag on Rob for five weeks. Um, he's a great bloke. I love him. It was a, a, one of the best campaigns I've ever worked on. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, I must admit, you know, sometimes getting uh, Rob to just sit down and go through his call list was some, some of uh, one of the greatest challenges of my job as a campaigner. Uh, Rob holds it by 5.3% at the moment. Early in the campaign, I think there was a bit of worry about McEwen, um, but I think people have calmed down now and they're feeling reasonably good about it. Uh, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on McEwen yourself, David. Uh, listen, I think Labor's going to hold it. There was concern about it. As you say, Rob's held it since 2010. 
Um, and on his watch, the seats only got better and better for Labor, um, aided, I might say, by redistributions. But, you know, Rob's a big personality and whatever flaws he has, he's got one thing in spades and that's charm. Mm, he's a fun guy to be around. Um, and that gets you a long way when you're fighting in a marginal seat, particularly a marginal seat like this one, which has several communities of interest in it and an MP needs to be across and networked into all of those Conversely, that makes it a tough seat to attack from the outside. So the Liberals have got their work cut out for them here. Their one Nation vote here is 6%, and I think that's an interesting um, number. That's a big number for Victoria, and it speaks to the fact that they're, those outer suburbs that are growing and bleeding into the seat um, are under a, you know, a lot of cost-of-living pressure. They've struggled through um, lockdown and mandates, um, you know, there's, a, there's, there's anger out there. I'd expect Palmer to pick up a decent vote here. Mm. So Labor's base has been battered by the pandemic, uh, by mandates. Um, but notwithstanding those challenges, I'm confident that um, Labor will win this seat. Okay, let's... Um, uh, $1.18 for uh, Rob and uh, the Liberal candidates $4.50. So um, there you go. I wouldn't bother putting any money on that one. Um, okay, let's go. Where do you want to go next? Chisholm or Higgins? Uh, well, I don't mind. Uh, both of them are interesting seats. Well, why don't we start with Chisholm? Because that's uh, one of the most marginal seats in the country. Yes, at 0.5%. Um, and this is an interesting slice of eastern suburbs, Melbourne, um, because it is very diverse. Only 49% speak English at home. Only 44% were born in Australia. Um, 32% say they uh, uh, nominate that they have no religion. Um, as we know, a uh, big uh, Australian community here of Chinese heritage, um, although it constantly needs to be pointed out, that's a diverse heritage. You know, that's Hong Kong, that's Taiwan, that's mainland China, that's all kinds of different circumstances that sort of make Australia home, but a very diverse electorate. And in 2019, both Labor and Liberal um, ran candidates of Chinese heritage. Gladys Liu, the Liberal, narrowly won that contest. But she's been in a lot of trouble since. Um, and uh, Labor launched a campaign ad against her uh, early in this election campaign, which pointed all of those travails out. Uh, and it was a controversial ad, but I think utterly justifiable one. Um, Gladys Liu is benefiting from the donkey vote in this contest, uh, but I don't think that's going to be enough to save her um, so this is going to be a knife fight. It's going to be very, very close. Uh, but I would not be surprised at all to see Labor pick this up. I think Gladys Liu um, has become a negative for the Liberal Party. She has got baggage, and that baggage is understood in her electorate and it hurts her. Uh, and I think she's also undermined by the uh, sort of uh, dramatic, um, provocative rhetoric that comes out from this government concerning uh, the Chinese Communist Party, because they often make the mistake of just talking about China and Chinese rather than disaggregating the Communist Party and President Xi from you know, the 1.4 billion people mm. who are, uh, uh, are obliged to be ruled by him. So uh, there will be a whole lot of sensitivities going on in this electorate and they don't play well for Gladys. Uh, so I think this is a Labor game. The Labor candidate is Karina Garland, uh, former organiser for the NUW and uh, Assistant Secretary of Victorian Trades or Council. Um, she's paying $1.40. Gladys is out to $2.80. Talk and it should be said PhD, academic career as well. Very bright woman. Um, talking to some folks 
on the ground in Chisholm who have knocked on a, um, a I think the statistical term is a fuckload of doors, um, <laughs> will we'll tell you that, um, and, you know, I've, I, haven't, I haven't gone out to the campaign this year, but most years I've, I've certainly spent, you know, two or three weekends knocking on doors in, in Chisholm. And I can tell you in previous, like 2013, 2016, 20, 2019, it was tough going. You know, going into those reasonably, like Chisholm's a wealthy electorate, a lot of retirees with a lot of money and knocking on those doors or making calls into that electorate during those previous campaigns was hard going. Um, people were very, very suspicious of Labor. They were concerned about Labor's policies around negative gearing uh, and franking credits. Um, and this time around, what I'm hearing on the doors is that uh, people hate Scott Morrison. In particular, women voters hate Scott Morrison. The very first question that a lot of people are asking when they knock on a door and they're speaking to a, a woman voter, you know, what are your th- opening question? What are your thoughts about Scott Morrison? And then they just unload. They just absolutely unload. And this is in wealthier parts of the electorate. And even talking to people who are, you know, normally rusted on libs, you can see there's a nervousness, there's a shifting in the feet about the prospects of their party. Um, in this election. So I think here is an opportunity for Labor to actually take back uh, a seat that was held for a long, long time by uh, Anna Burke. Um, um, And it was huge when Anna first won it in a by-election, I think, um, a long, long time ago. And, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that she had a long and distinguished career in the seat, it was always very marginal territory. And every one of her victories was a triumph. Absolutely. Scott Morrison is there today, so that indicates... Um, the, the I guess the central campaign's attitude towards Chisholm, they they know that they need to hold this if they're going to try and form government. So, um, we, we also know that they can't send him to Higgins or Goldstein or Kuyong. So his travelling itinerary is severely curtailed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, I think that that's a I think that's a labour win um, for Chisholm. I think we're finally going to get that seat back after a couple of uh, attempts. So um, we'll put that down as a labour gain. Okay, let's go to Higgins. Um, Katie Allen is the incumbent. Um, Labor, the Liberals hold it by 3.7%. Uh, it is I'll, Actually, I'll let you do the history of Higgins because it is blue ribbon territory for the Liberal Party. Well, it's never been anything other than Liberal. Um, absolute heartland. Uh, and, of course, was Costello's seat, the former treasurer. Um, uh, and uh, it has been a whole lot of Liberal luminaries. For those of us on the sort of machine side of Labor politics, um, the Liberals' Higgins 200 Club was always a nice big earner for our political adversaries. So it was a place from which they derived a lot of organisational power, um, had a lot of uh, Melbourne's uh, Blue Bloods in their party branches, uh, raised a lot of money, um, delivered big results to Liberals and was always held to be a seat that sent only, um, you know, key front benches to Canberra. So the fact that it's in play is absolutely remarkable. Um, it, its margin is now 2.6%. It's lost a percent um, on, on, a re, on the recent redistribution. Um, Katie Allen, the Liberal incumbent, um, uh, she was, you might remember, the uh, Liberal candidate for the state seat of Paran in 2018. She then won the seat in 2019 uh, and went federal. Uh, her, what's interesting to me about this seat is it should really be a three-cornered contest um, between Liberal, Labor and Greens. The Greens were the principal adversaries for the Liberals there in 2019, with the Greens putting in a very big effort. But this time, that doesn't seem to be quite so. Um, and we might perhaps talk a bit about the Greens, but or more particularly, where are they? But um, 
the, this is really turning into a uh, Labor versus Liberal contest. The Greens will be significant and crucial to the result, um, but I don't see them coming first or second. Um, and so that is of itself very significant. I think the other thing here is Labor's candidate, Dr Michelle Anadaraja, um, is an outstanding candidate. Um, I've done a bit of work in this seat, funnily enough, and, and spent some time with her, and I am really impressed with her. She is a first-class act. Um, and as the uh, as an expert in infectious diseases at the Alfred Hospital, she's kind of got a skill set which is rather useful uh, in the current pandemic context. So a, a good candidate and a big campaign. And Labor really does sniff something going on here because uh, Higgins has turned into an effort, which I've never seen before. Um, Labor is investing people and money, uh, has pre-selected well and is lunging for it. Um, and I think that is quite remarkable. It's obviously audiences uh, moving away from, uh, the cons- from, from Scott Morrison in particular and from his um, uh, rhetoric around issues like uh, women, uh, corruption, uh, ICAC, climate change, all of those things are turning these um, high education, high income voters with post-materialistic concerns off the Liberals. It's hurting them everywhere. It's hurting them in Higgins. So I think, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Higgins. I literally think it's going to be a toss of a coin. Um, Will the green preferences flow to Labor uh, with enough strength, you know, north of 85% um, to deliver a Labor victory? Is Labor's primary vote going to be um, high enough? Uh, Lots of don't knows. But the fact that the Liberals are fighting uh, for their lives in this seat is of itself incredible. Yeah, to the first point you uh, uh, that you um, raised there that it has, has historically been, well, historically, in, in most recent elections, that area has been three-way. You're right. The, um, the state seat that mirrors similar boundaries to Higgins, which is the seat of Paran, in the last two election cycles has been a three-way co- cornered contest between Labor, the Greens and Liberals and the 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 vote difference between Labor and the Greens has been a handful, and at the moment, Labor has been slightly behind the Greens, which has meant that the Labor candidate had been eliminated, and the preferences have flown to the Greens, getting the Green over the uh, the Liberal candidates for the for for for, for the Greens to hold Paran. And you're right; in the last election year, it was a three-way contest in Higgins. Talking to folks uh, in the campaign there, they are not feeling like this is a three-way contest. The converse, And one way of finding that out is when you go and knock on doors, you'll, you'll inevitably come across someone who is either a persuadable or an undecided Green, Labor or Liberal type voter. And they're not coming up on the doors this time. They're not having that conversation where they're meeting a lot of people who are saying, I'm tossing up between Labor or the Greens or I'm tossing up between Liberal and the Greens. It's very much feels has a feel of a traditional red versus blue contest, which is, I think, bodes well for Labor in, the, in this situation. The second thing is that... The- well, in 2019, you'll remember that Greens ran Jason Ball, um, who was quite a well-known figure. He, he attracted a lot of publicity, free, free media, um, and a lot of pizzazz around his campaign. Um, the Green campaign this time just looks like nothing by comparison. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, we watched in 2016 the Greens focus on uh, 
what was then my electorate of Batman and the neighbouring seat of Wilms. Um, and then they big efforts in there uh, where the Greens were narrowly defeated in both. And then they just switched both of those off and in 2019 in, sailed off into the eastern suburbs of Melbourne with a big effort in Kooyong, a big effort in Higgins and a big effort in what was then Port Melbourne or Melbourne Ports. Um, and and uh, so the, the question now in 2022 is where are the Greens? Mm. Um, and I... I, I, I talking, there's a chance they're all in Brisbane, uh, that all of their money and um, their uh, mobile battalions are all in Brisbane. Uh, I don't know, but there doesn't seem to be a green operation going on in the state of Victoria of anything like the scale we've seen in previous years. A huge um, field operation uh, uh, coming out of the Labor uh, campaign in Victoria into Higgins and the Community Action Network. There are, like I looked at, um, there was a, a social media post before of a door knock that was happening today. There was 37 shifts in that door knock, just in that particular shift. Now, you times that by how many doors they knock on. That's like close to a 1,000 doors that they've just knocked today, which is um, a huge output for the middle of the week or for a Friday afternoon. That's that's incredible. And what I'm hearing from the team is that it's one of the biggest campaigns, not just in Victoria, but in the country. And that is remarkable to think about that in Higgins. So that is, that you know, there's an old expression within the field uh, program that is, you know, uh, leave it all on the field. And that's what Higgins are doing right now. They are leaving it all on the field in these final weeks of the campaign. So I, um, you know, I'm feeling good about. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm feeling good about Higgins. Uh, <laughs> Katie Allen is paying a dollar fifty, so you think she was a lock. Um, whereas the Labor candidate's three bucks. I'm putting my money on that. That's my smoky. I think we're going to pick up Higgins. I'm feeling good about Higgins. Um, so uh, we'll see uh, if I'm right or wrong on, uh, on on election day. What are your thoughts? You're going to make prepare to make a call on Higgins. Uh, I. I, I just can't call Higgins. I, the idea of calling Higgins for Labor is just, it's just too mind-blowing. But I do think it's too close to call and I find that astonishing enough. All right. Let's go uh, to the Teals just quickly to wrap this up. Uh, Kuyong and Goldstein, uh, do, which one do you want to start with? Do you want to start with Kuyong since we're in that kind of part of the country, state? Well, maybe we'll do them as a job lot. Um, these are Both of these campaigns uh, are from... Labor's perspective, first-class diversionary actions. Um, both of them are um, absolute Liberal heartland. Um, the seats of Robert Menzies, the seat of um, Kemp and McPhee in the case of Goldstein. Um, it's not just where... They, they haven't just been Liberal seats forever, but it's where their membership is concentrated too. Um, so these are... Uh, they're sort of spiritual as well as demographic heartlands. Um, so these uprisings in those seats are fascinating. Um, I think that uh, I have no uh, evidence for this proposition I'm about to make, but here I go. Um, I suspect the Liberal Party will hold both of them. Um, I would love to be wrong. Um, we saw a very big effort in Kuyong last time, which was spearheaded by the Greens who got behind... Um, uh, the, the solicitor, what's his name? Uh, the the, uh, the barrister Julian Burnside, yeah. um, or as he prefers to be called, His Royal Highness uh, and Excellency Julian Burnside the Third. Um, Julian Burnside's campaign was a very big one, and he obviously enjoyed preferences from Labor and a range of independents. Uh, he failed. Um, is the rebranding of Josh's adversaries as Teal's going to? change that dynamic and make a victory more possible. I think it does. I think for 
for Liberal switching voters in Kuyong, it's easier to go teal than to vote for a Green candidate, even if it is someone like Julian Burnside. But um, notwithstanding that, I think the Liberals will hang on. But irrespective of win or lose, um, it has consumed a vast amount of Liberal time and money. Um, and so too in Goldstein. The uprising in Goldstein is perhaps even more astonishing because it doesn't have... <clears throat> Kuyong has been on a long, slow burn as anti-Liberal forces have tried different things and coalesced around different candidates. Um, in in Goldstein, it looks just like a, 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 you know, a combustion, a spontaneous combustion has taken place. In a very short period of time, we've seen the Teal candidate there gain an enormous amount of momentum, marshal a lot of people and scare um, uh, Wilson and the Liberal Party down there like they've never been scared in their lives. Um, this is a seat that has been Liberal since it was created. Um, and uh, for it to now be um, at the scene of uh, this kind of fight is unprecedented. So great diversionary action, consuming a lot of Liberal time and money. I suspect the Liberals will come through the other side with both, um, but the fact that I cannot, can't say that with certainty is incredible. If they lose Kuyong, that obviously has a bigger significance in the sense that um, the Liberal Party potentially loses um, a future leader or leader of the opposition. Yeah, I mean, it would be just um, from a tactics and a strategy p perspective, frustrating not being able to have the treasurer fly around the country and do the work that he would normally do. And I'm sure Josh wasn't aware until this point there's a thing called pre-poll because he has a stand on it now for the next uh, two weeks. Um, with the while, while Liberal luminaries visit him there. Yeah, I... Peter Costello of Channel 9 spent some time there with him and... Um, Hunt did too, so... Alexander Downer. Alexander Downer, there you go. So uh, They're all coming out of the woodwork. If you want to meet a famous Tory, pop on down <laughs> to Josh's pre-poll. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and Goldstein, uh, yes, uh, the, the uh, Teal candidate there, Zoe Daniel, former ABC uh, journalist, Washington foreign affairs correspondent, um, we've had actually on the podcast uh, a couple of times as well. Um, look, I can tell you that the, the campaign down there in Goldstein that the Teals are running is a mirror campaign to the Community Action Network. And if you ever want more evidence about why field matters, um, you know, I don't want to talk up um, people who are non-Labor candidates, but they are, that's what they're doing. They've built a campaign off the back of a grassroots Marshall Gantt-style community organising program. And it's got them into a position now that Zoe Daniels paying a dollar forty and Tim Wilson's two bucks eighty. So... I thought Zoe's launch in particular was quite incredible. I mean, there were, it looked to me like a thousand plus people um, wearing her T-shirts and chanting her name. Like, yeah, um, it, it, yeah, that was, and then by contrast, the poor old Liberal launch uh, didn't look nearly as energetic. No, it's huge. So I think out of the two that can, um, the one, if I can think of one that will be jagged by the teals, I would actually put my money on Goldstein rather than, uh, than Kuyong. I think I, uh, Frydenberg will probably get out of the line, but I think Tim Wilson's days in Parliament are done. That's it, David. We've come to the end. Um, and to summarise, I think we've got a um, um, we've got a Labor hold in uh, in Lyons, uh, a Labor gain in either Bass or Braddon in Tasmania. We've got a Labor gain in Boothby. We've got a Labor gain in Chisholm. We've got a Labor hold in Corangamite and McEwen. Um, you and I can't agree on Higgins. I think it's going to be a Labor gain. Um, You've got it too close to call. And uh, I don't think we really have any sort of strong views on Kuyong or Goldstein, but 
um, we'll see on the night. Yes, I mean, I guess the executive summary of all of that is Labor is um, moving forward, even if not um, at, a, at a ripping pace, uh, but the Liberals aren't. There's no joy for the Liberals anywhere. No. Um, David, thank you very much for your insights across those uh, those three states. We'll um, I'll see you uh, later in the week for our final uh, election uh, wrap-up with uh, yourself and uh, Emma Dawson from Per Capita. And until then... Hasta la vista. Okay, we're moving to the west, uh, heading to the west for West Coast Cooler. Um, and uh, there's an old ad for, that's showing my age. Um, joining, me on, joining me on the line from Perth uh, is an old friend of mine. Um, we go way back. Um, she was a former uh, Western Australian Labor Assistant Secretary when I was an Assistant Secretary for the Vic Branch, and she pioneered uh, taking field into WA, which really was a foundation for the, uh, the election of the first McGowan government. She's now a, uh, a partner at uh, Seat Newgate and sort of the head, the lead head office person in, the, in their Perth office. Linda Sharlam, welcome back. Oh no, welcome to Socially Democratic, but you and I have done a podcast together before. Hello, good to see you again. Hi, good to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. It's my second podcast ever and the first one was with you. I'm hoping that uh, we've got some good news coming out of the West in terms of the, uh, mm. the numbers that we're looking to try and pick up in WA. What I'll do is, uh, just to give you some context, Linda, um, we, um, at the halfway point of this podcast, which I think is going to be a monster podcast, we've already spoken to Elliot Stein uh, in um, New South Wales and we've done David Feeney and I have, have gone through South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria. Yep. And these are the seats, so far Labor is holding the seats that we need to hold. These are the seats that we have agreed that we are going to pick up. Yeah. At this point in time, and this is also good for the listeners out there to sort of do a running tally of where we're at at the half, it's half time in the game. Um, Reed and Benelong are gains for Labor in New South Wales. Boothby, finally, in South Australia, is coming back to Labor. Uh, and the gains in Tasmania, David and I couldn't agree on whether or not we, would it be Bass or Braddon that we would pick up. So we're just going to mm-hmm. say it's a, it's a one seat gain in Tasmania. Uh, and Chisholm is the gain in Victoria. I got a little excited in yesterday's podcast uh, recording because I then called Higgins. Um, but I think, you know, my head says no, my heart says yes. <laughs> and I just want us to jag that seat. It's one of those seats that if you win on election nights, like when we won Ben Long in 2007, it was like an icing on the cake, kind of stick it up and kind of thing. And I just yeah. want us to get that seat, you know. Plus the guys at the, the Community Action Network, volunteers in Higgins have done a ton of work. Mm-hmm. They've poured a lot of time and energy. It also overlaps with the state seat of, um, of Paran, which there's been a great effort by the uh the volunteers in that part of melbourne over multiple cycles and i just think they deserve this win it would be nice for them to win that in fact i think when you came over in 2000 uh 2014 14, I, think. I think we actually went and made calls in paran from yeah, them, good. Right? anyway good so I want, territory there yeah, yeah. absolutely so i always <laughs> want us to jag that seat. but anyway mm. i'll calm down a little bit about higgins so maybe i'll just put that in the let's uh, put it in the not so sure. But anyway, if we don't include Higgins, that gives us one, two, three, four, five seats to this moment. We need to win seven. So no pressure on Western Australia. Well, look, I did, you know, I think I think we're happy to open to happy having the pressure put on us a little bit here this time around. Um so you haven't done Queensland? No, uh, Linus uh, an old colleague of ours, uh, uh, power will be how we finish off the fourth quarter. 
yeah, okay. uh, in Queensland. Exactly. So all eyes on the Sunshine State. But look, you know, WA is so critical. Like we're, we're feeling good about Western Australia, right? Talk us through the vibes just generally in, in WA right now. There's, there's definitely a swing on in WA and it's been a pretty consistent uh, trend. So if you, I, I keep an eye on the news poll primary uh, trend over time and that um, primary for federal labour in WA has been quite high for a very long time. So we've got at right now it's, a, um, uh, it's at 40%, which is up from 29.8, which was the election result in 2019. And the uh, 2PP shows a 2PP swing of about 8%. So that's a really... Um, a good indicator that things are on the up in in WA, and there's a lot of things at play here. We've got a very popular um, local premier, uh, Mark McGowan, who's kind of positioned himself a little bit as a uh, kingmaker at this at this election, and um, and and everybody's sort of using him in his in their materials as well. So there's Liberal Party um, MPs that are putting out pamphlets of them standing next side by side with uh, Mark McGowan at, at wow. events as well. Mm, so. Lots of people trying to leverage off the the popularity of Mark Gowan, and I and I think that it's interesting to see how it might play out um, in terms of locally and whether it gives people a level of comfort to to do what they haven't done before, which is you know vote Labor in a federal electorate in in big numbers, or whether it gives people permission to vote Liberal because they feel like they've got a state Labor premier who will look after them locally anyway, and so. Um, it's interesting to see how it's probably going to play out with, um, with, with his uh, uh, star factor included in the campaign. Excellent. Um, one thing to say, I do love Mark McGowan, and I think one of my highlights of Mark McGowan, and there are many, election night when he won in the landslide and the cameras were on his home and he walked out with uh, his his wife and the, and the children, and they all loaded into the car. And he drove himself. He drove himself. I had conniptions watching that, as a former party official, thinking to myself, "Why is someone not looking after this guy and making sure he's well looked after going in?" But you could just uh, you could just see that he would be the one to just be like, "Oh, no, there's no need for fuss. I'll go and look after myself." So he's a pretty down to earth individual. But what it what it actually that landslide? What it actually means is that. So every state seat in every marginal federal seat in WA is held by Labor. Mm. So there are, um, you know, a, a law of diminishing returns when it comes to the Liberal Party and their resources, but the, the, the vibe on the ground is there's a lot of Labor people about, a lot of good Labor activity, um, a lot of good community action network field engagement and, and stuff like that. And that is um, spurred on by the fact that Labor owns almost every pocket of every marginal seat um, uh, in, in, um, in the seats in Western Australia. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, obviously we're, we're really interested to see how that translates at a federal mm-hmm. level. So let's dive into it, shall we? And I think yeah. we'll start with the seats that Labor need to hold, first of all, let's be defensive to begin with, uh, and the seat of, uh, of Cowan. That's right. Seven, uh, it's a 0.9% seat. Won by Anna Lee in 2016. She was in a, there was a very um, uh, strong negative attack campaign against her in 2016 and she won it kind of against the odds. Um, the, the To the extent where the Libs put out a pamphlet and um and showed where she lived, which was in the southern suburbs of Perth, and we have a north-south divide here in, in, in Perth, and, and they had an arrow pointing to um, where she lives in the southern suburbs and said she's not a local. But I think what it was trying to do was play up a little bit more about 
the fact that she's got, um, you know, she's Muslim background. Um, she's not a, uh, you know, party apparatchik. She's uh, come from a counterterrorism expert background. And so against the odds in 2016 and against that kind of negative campaign, she, she won it and she won it. It stays as a marginal uh, because it's always been a marginal and she re-won the election in 2019 and now she's up again. But what's happened this time is the seat of Sterling that's been abolished in the redistribution. Um, half of that is now in the seat of Cowan and the former uh, Liberal MP for Sterling, a guy named Vince Connolly, is uh, running as her opponent. So... It's, you know, but in the overall scheme of things, when there's a swing towards Labor in WA, I don't think it's at risk and I don't think it's marginal. Quite the opposite. I think the, the Liberal candidate that's running, Vince Connolly, look, he's a he's a really smart, good operator and he's a down-to-earth guy, got a, um, a you know, public service uh, commitment to country background. And I really think the Liberal Party made a mistake. They should have run him for a safer Liberal seat. Um, because he could have been uh, someone who could have forged their their future and a pathway for their future in Western Australia as well. That's interesting, isn't it? Because mm. if he is such a rich talent and you want to hang on to him, then you're right, you do that. But the fact that they've put him into such a battleground seat says a lot about their concerns of uh, in terms of whether they can actually flip this seat. Yeah, definitely. And I think he's putting up a really good fight, but I do think Anne's um, well-known locally, very popular, um, hard-working, um, she is someone that the locals are quite proud to send to Canberra to fight on their behalf. Um, as I said, you know, she's briefed the White House, she's briefed UN, she is um, overqualified um, to um, be a Member of Parliament and she is fantastic at that. And it's a suburbia, you know, suburb, established homes, but pockets of really strong Labor voting areas and um, and young families and and she's got a, a personal story that uh, is all about her um, struggle um, as a single mum, raising kids um, and doing it tough and, and getting through some of the highs and lows of life um, with her, you know, great attitude, her smarts. And I think um, the uh, electors in the area of Cowan really do kind of resonate with her um, personal story as well. So I think she's got it in a bag, but, you know, the, the Liberal Party are putting up a good fight. We've uh, we had Anne on the podcast um, at some stage this whole COVID period. I can never keep track of time mm. when this may have happened, but it definitely happened during COVID. Mm. Uh, and you know she's really really impressive. Even talking to her at the time, I was thinking you know, and no disrespect to members of Parliament, but I was thinking, why are you doing this job? Like you should be, you should be leading the UN or something. Like it's remarkable um, right. that, that we've got a, a talent of her. Um, of, of her capabilities actually in, in the House of Representatives and in the Labor Caucus. So, yeah, absolutely critical that we hold that seat. So you're calling that as a Labor hold? That's right. Um, just looking at the odds there, uh, Anne's $1.12. Um, Vince Collins $5.50. So it's not... It's an easy 12 cents. Yeah, absolutely. It's a shame <laughs> that they don't do it anymore where they can do the uh, the parlay or they do the... What do they call it in Australia where you can put multi, multi, yeah, a multi-bet? You can yeah. cowen into... <laughs> Melbourne Ports into Kingsford Smith into, you know, and just build up this huge multi and then... Um, yeah, that's a good idea for any of the, uh, you know, betting agencies listening to this uh, wonderful Socially Democratic podcast. <laughs> they, I mean, they used to, up until like 2007, or I think they stopped it in 2010, people like you and I were, I'm not a gambling person by any stretch of imagination, I have enough vices, but people were doing that, like you know, doing multis into multis into multis, like 30-seat multis. And I think that the gambling agencies worked out that there were some people who probably knew a little bit more than Gaming they Gaming the system, yeah. Yeah, and they got but rid the, of that. 
But it does remind me of the 2019 early payout from Sportsbet um, calling the election for Bill Thornton, which was, um, yeah, uh, quite an interesting thing. I can't remember how much they lost, but I'm pretty sure it was in the order of millions. Was it two million? Yeah, something to that effect. Yeah, wow. Um, Anyway, there we go. Well, I don't think that's. Oh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week if they try and do that. I think it's more. No, I, um, you know, I, I assume they'll take a very conservative approach at this election. Absolutely. Speaking of conservatives, nice segue. Uh, let's uh, look at the seats that we want to flip from the forces of darkness and evil. And where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with uh, Swan. Excellent. Um, 3.2% Liberal held seat. The um, sitting member, Steve Irons, is retiring at this election, really puts this seat in play. Um, he, he is a popular local member. Last election, he ran up against um, uh, Hannah Beasley from Labor, who ran a really solid and strong campaign. And her, um, of course, her uh, last name makes a big difference and um, reminds people of their previous federal member, Kim Beasley, who held the seat. Um, but, um, up until 1996 before he moved to the federal seat of Brand. And so she's got great local pedigree. She ran a fantastic campaign, uh, exceptionally well-resourced. And I think because of that, um, she held the mar- kept the margin low um, in 2019 and um, saw a small swing towards her um, and towards Labor in, in that previous election, which really puts this seat in play for Labor at this, uh, at this election. Um, two candidates, Christy... McSweeney for the Liberal Party has got a bit of a media background, a bit of Sky News uh, experience. And Zanita Masarenas, who is the Labor candidate, is a uh, engineer, local girl, um, young family. She really is the kind of um, the true representative of that community, um, uh, very representative of that community. And um, you could tell it's on a knife edge. You could tell the Liberal Party are worried because the negative... Uh, personal attacks against the candidates uh, has started, and there was a um, bit of um, you know dirt, dirt throwing in the in the last couple of days, kind of uh, placing some stories in the media and um, uh, running out a robo with a negative message against the Labor candidate. So you could tell the Liberal Party are worried. The seat itself is a bit of a mixed bag. I'm currently um, looking at the what's in the seat, which is the area of South Perth, um, Riverside. Um, you know, high-rise, beautiful apartments and large, beautiful old homes. Um, and, you know, it goes from uh, that in, in, in one part of the seat to, um, you know, large family homes um, and established homes around the airport in Perth Airport. So um, uh, it's got a real mixed bag. It is suburbia. It is uh, um, a, a place where, you know, working families live as well as people who are a little bit more well-off. Um, and so being able to kind of, you know, Swan has always been a big challenge for Labor because it's being able to kind of straddle the difference between, um, you know, the kinds of voters that are living around that South, South Perth area and the voters that are living in Forestfield or um, uh, Belmont and areas that are a little bit lower socio um, uh, economically, a uh, so, 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 little bit lower socioeconomic areas. Sorry for that. Um, and so I think because of that, it's a bit of a challenge. But I think, you know, again, just to remember that there is a bit of a um, anti-Scott Morrison sentiment out there. You could tell the Libs are worried because of the negative campaign and all um, that's starting now. But also um, every state seat in that federal electorate is held, which includes the seat of South Perth. Um, and so there is a, um, a real mood for change. 
a real um, opportunity out there and it's uh, marginal enough. And if you think about those news poll results, it's marginal enough um, to, to get over the line on the night. And I'm prepared to say that I think it'll get there. Okay, I mean, that's huge. Um, I, I think sometimes we just make assumptions based on what the expectations are and the mood broadly across the nation. And we look at a seat like Swan and go, well, if we're going to win, that's a seat we kind of grab. But it's not as easy as that. And you sort of, you know, you just sort of stepped it out in terms of the challenges that we had with um, the previous election campaign. But, you know, 3.2%, that's a sizable amount of votes that Labor's going to pick up in this election. But it sounds like things are tracking in the right direction. If we are seeing Liberal candidates trying to align themselves with Mark Gowan. Are we also seeing examples of Liberal candidates trying to distance themselves from the Prime Minister? Oh, uh, well, I actually, I feel like they might be trying to, but it's not coming across as such because Scott Morrison has spent a lot of time here um, in the, uh, you know, since the borders opened, he's been able to kind of come back and forth four or five times. So I kind of... Um, I feel like if they were, look, and I've been, to be perfectly honest, I've been on campaigns where you try to uh, push the candidate up uh, first and foremost and, and try to remind people that there's a pretty strong local local person, no matter what you think about the major parties, there's a pretty strong local person here that deserves backing. But it's really hard if you're a um, new candidate, not an incumbent, to do so. And so... I, you know, I think they've got no choice but to sort of stand with Scott Morrison where they can because he's getting the TVs and he's getting kind of the media attention um, and it kind of gives you ability to kind of increase your um, local presence and increase um, uh, your profile and recognition as well. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of the conversation that happens of like, what, he's coming to our seat? What are we going to do about that? But um, I actually think there's no way they could avoid it. He's the Prime Minister of Australia. They have to stand next to him. Yeah, it's hard to keep the man at the top of the ticket away from yeah, uh, right. a marginal seat that you need to hold. Okay, so we're calling Swan then. Is that something we're going to put into the – is that a Labor game? I think so, yes. Okay. Yeah, do you have this sort of like once bitten, twice shy thing? Make some big bad calls in 2019. I'm, I'm half not prepared to do them again, but there's a lot happening out here and I think it's on. And so a 3.2% seat with no Liberal incumbent, you're going to have to say it'll fall. It'll go. It'll go to Labor. We're really encouraging uh, courage in this particular podcast <laughs> from our guests, uh, yeah. Linda. So uh, be courageous and be bold. Sure, uh, you're not recording it or anything, so uh, surely you'll be fine. <laughs> and mighty forces will come to your aid. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, look, actually, if anyone is interested put a bet on this one, the Labor candidate's at $3.55, um, which is like if you're calling that as a, a win for Labor, then that's, um, that's good money, I reckon. I would take that bet. That is good money. Labor candidate at three fifty five. What's the Liberal candidate on? Uh dollar twenty five. Really? Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> see the- cool. I maintain my view that I think it's winnable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move along. Let's go to the seat of Pierce. Very good. It's a uh, 5.2% seat. Of course, Christian Porter's uh, uh, the former member um, who's retiring at this election. That's a whole different podcast about a, mm. uh, a whole other matter. Um, the uh, ba- It's the Battle of the Wanneroo Councillors out in Pierce. And uh, there's a councillor, Linda Aitken, who's running for the Liberal Party. She's run previously for the state seat of Butler, which covers part, a big portion of the seat of Pierce. Uh, three times and um, not not quite made it over the line on uh, three occasions. And uh, John Quigley, and she's run up against John Quigley, who's the Attorney General in Western Australia, and lost three times. 
Um, she's up against Tracy Roberts, who's the very popular local mayor of Wanneroo, um, who is a bit of a pocket rocket and a straight shooter, and she is someone that the locals absolutely love um, because, um, and, you know, our council elections, I'm sure it's the same in some other jurisdictions, but our voluntary uh, postal vote elections and her turnout numbers are huge and her recognition numbers are huge and um, and there's a she's embedded in that community and people know and love Tracy and trust Tracy and I think that um, that's going to hold her in good stead for the for the Fed election um, uh, because the seat and the council um, uh, uh, overlap uh, really in in uh, significantly overlap I should say. Um, but that being said, Labor's never held the seat of peace in my memory, um, uh, and so it will be a challenge. And but it is it, the redistribution has um, tightened up the seat a little bit. So um, previously, the seat had um, two sort of population centres: one around Ellen, uh, one around uh, Yanchip and Butler, and one around Ellenbrook. And Ellenbrook is a massively growing um, uh, suburb, and they're two very different suburbs. One's near the water. One's in the um, uh, a brand new suburb, a dense population, uh, but around the Swan Valley Tourism Precinct. And so it's got a bit of lack of services around it, but the state Labor government's fixing that. Um, but it's got, um, uh, it's got a kind of high population of migrant, um, uh, migrant families and new families and young families and, and they're relatively small homes, whereas... The beachside suburbs are, you know, as you could imagine, large homes, um, a little bit more established, new, or people moving to buy their first new home um, towards um, from in a, you know outer suburban inland areas to the coast. And so that old seat is hard to campaign in. A peri-urban swing's got lots of little regional communities in it. And what the redistribution's done is actually put Ellenbrook into Haslop and keep the seat focused a little bit more on um, the city of Wanneroo. And so that's going to really help Tracy Roberts, who has the um, high recognition, high favourability rating in the area, and um, and it kind of focuses the seat a little bit more on the same boundaries where she's represented. So I think that um, a combination of um, the incumbent not running and for the reasons that, that are, you know, uh, surrounding Christian Porter's retirement, um, so the incumbent not running, um, and in such a way, uh, the Liberal candidate who is running is a local councillor, um, but has run and lost, you know, three times. And I think Tracy Roberts is uh, in with a really, really good shot to pick it up this time. So even if the margin is five point two percent, and even though News Poll is saying, you know, good things about um, good things coming to Labor in WA, I don't think five point two percent is truly representative of the margin of Pierce now that it doesn't have an incumbent. Um, and that Tracy Roberts is running, I think she brings a good local flavour to it. Um, and I think it's a close one uh, for Labor, but one that will probably fall over the line on the night. Now, what are the betting agencies saying? <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> I'll yeah. reach you out with that one. I should actually just clarify that these odds may have changed since we first did our research, which was uh, on uh, Thursday night. Um, and, you know, when it was this podcast, and, you know, all this money will come in and these um, numbers will change again. Yeah. Um, the betting agencies, uh, Linda, are saying in Pierce that uh, Linda Aiken is at $2.75 and Tracy Roberts is $1.40. Can I just say that they're yeah, cool. the two most Aussie names that could run for Parliament, Linda and Tracy. 
Yes, that's right. And they also would be strongly representative of the area that um, uh, the electors in the area that they're looking to represent. Right. Okay. Because I was going to ask you, you said uh, there's a bit of migrant influx into that electorate, into that constituency. Are we talking migrants from, from the UK and South Africa or are we talking about migrants from other parts of the world? The, the migrants would have been in Ellenbrook and Ellenbrook, uh, and that would have been um, uh, less so from the UK and and a, and a mixture of sort of Southeast Asia and the Middle East. And um, but they're now in the seat of Hasluck, which um, we can talk about in just a moment. But the other migrants that come in around the um, coastal area are definitely from UK and South South Africa or Africa, South Africa. Yeah. And uh, hello to my uh, my cousins from Scotland, the Mullins, who are probably listening and live up in that part of the state. Yeah, um, great okay. people. Good labour uh, voters. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we wouldn't, uh, you we'll know. just out them. Yeah, well, you know, their, their grandfather or their fathers would turn their grave if they knew they were voting for the, the Conservatives. Um, let's, uh, what, so we're calling, are we going to call Pierce's a labour gain? Yes. All right. So that, that would then put us on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There you go. That's, tw- that's 76 seats. That's government. Let's stop the podcast. Let's go home now. Go watch the bus. That's it. We're done. But can I just ask, did you not count... Have you not counted on losing any seats in New South Wales? According to Elliot, no. He's oh. feeling confident that we're going to hold um, Gilmore, Parramatta, Macquarie and the seats in the Hunter. Yeah, okay. That's fantastic. Isn't it? I think it's wonderful news. I'm really happy about that. We should have yeah. Elliot decide all the elections as opposed yeah. to... That <laughs> a, we don't even need elections anymore because Elliot can just call them and that will be a fair representation of what's happening out there. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's just, drive, let's, let's just drive home this Labor government victory with uh, yeah. a buffer and let's turn to Hasluck. How are we looking at Hasluck? Well, Hasluck is a 5.9% seat and the sitting member is the first Indigenous Australian MP, Ken Wyatt. Um, and uh, Liberal held. And I think, um, and he's running again. I think this will be a real tough one um, for Labor to win. Uh, But if the swing is on and um, the campaign is going as well as I hear that it is for the Labor Party, then I think they've got a chance of jagging it. But it is a tough seat and it's not a... um, it's not an easy one to overcome. Ken Wyatt is a very popular local MP and popular in that kind of old school kind of way where people always kind of drop into his office or know that he's always around and available to help. And I, I give him credit for that. Um, people really need permission out and has luck to vote against him. Um, and uh, I think the biggest kind of chain around um, uh, the Liberal Party campaign and has luck is they've got a very unpopular prime minister. And so... If Labor is able to make the case that Ken Wyatt is part of Scott Morrison's Liberal government and that therefore that means he is against Western Australia or, you know, um, supported Palmer um, in the court case to try to bring down Labor's, uh, sorry, bring down Western Australia's borders. I said Labor's borders, but that's also (laughs) true. Um, Then I think there's there's a chance of sort of jagging the seat. But let's just talk about Tanya Lawrence, the Labor candidate, who is a um, local, active, small business owner, bit of a policy wonk. Um, she's done some work for the Department of Premier and Cabinet, and then she's also worked for Woodside. So she's got the truly Western Australian CV of, like, you haven't been a Western Australian unless you've worked at Woodside. Um, she's run previously for the Labor Party for um, uh, in a by-election in the Cedar-Darling Range, which... Um, is in the sort of similar demographic but not necessarily um, and, and broad geographic region but not necessarily with a crossover on um, 
the seat of Hasluck, but she is a formidable candidate. She is very um, uh, uh, vivacious. She's smart. She's fantastic at thinking on her feet. She's energetic. I've watched her at events where she sort of brings the energy, um, you know, creates a space for people to get um, uh, conversational, get people talking, and I think she would make a fantastic federal MP. Um, The last time Labor held this seat, uh, was under Sharon Jackson and it was uh, lost, uh, uh, sorry, uh, lost in 2010 but won in 2007. I've got my um, years around the wrong way. Um, it's got Midland, which is a, um, a, a densely populated city centre, um, and Ellenbrook, which I talked about before, a smaller, um, a growing uh, area and um, new families, new migrant families, small homes, and lots of sort of um, small towns around, so a little few regional suburbs around the place. And it's a bit of a, um, and some of the towns um, in the electorate are a, a tree change, so Kalamunda, um, larger homes. It's where young families and, and, and older people are moving to kind of live out and just to get a bit of a, um, a change in scenery in a different way of um, a different place to uh, live and grow, so um, grow their families. So I think because of the kind of change in the boundaries um, and the additional sort of smaller regional towns that are now part of that federal seat, it's probably got a little bit of a harder, you know, road to climb to kind of uh, to get it to get it over the line. And with Ken running again um, and the value of his incumbency, it makes a little bit of a challenge. But I do think that. The campaign um, Labor's put in is quite formidable. They're doing a really good job out there. Tanya is fantastic, and I think there is a slim chance that on the night this one gets over the line, but I'm not prepared to call it just yet. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I felt I sense you're going that way. But, I mean, look, it is interesting because you're right. I mean, even from from the, on the other side of the country, you know, Ken White looks like – he just looks like a good bloke. You know, and sometimes I actually sort of sort of pity the guy because I feel like he's in the wrong party in some respects because sort of yeah. the work he's trying to do in terms of uh, Aboriginal, in, uh, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander racial justice, uh, I don't think he's getting a lot of love from the party he's in. Um, and uh, But he just comes off like a reasonable kind of politician that wants to serve the public and I guess that would go down very, very well in the electorate that he's in. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, he's got some challenges because he's got a dickhead of a boss and <laughs> a lot of people know that, you know, and, and also some of the, yeah, some of the, with the redistribution and creating new areas, there's an unfamiliarity to who the local member is and there's an opportunity to sort of get in there. But also looking at the margin, it is, it's getting a little, it's, it seems like a bit of a gap, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, 5.9, almost 6%. Um, but, you know, as you said before at the start of the podcast, it swings on. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, and with yeah. an incumbent, so makes it a little bit harder, a little bit different to Pierce. Yeah, and that sophomore swing probably comes in there as well. Mm. Although, how long has he been the member for Pierce? Uh, 2010. Uh, okay, no, right. Okay, well, that's time to change. Okay, well, we'll put that one in the too hard basket for the moment mm. or just a watch and see for folks out there. Um, now, we're going to talk about um, two other seats that you're interested in that we think that, you know, if things are going well for Labor. Oh, actually, sorry, I should say the odds for Hasluck. Uh, Ken White's $1.75, Tanya Lawrence's $2. So, hmm, interesting. It's close. Um, and then the last seat we just want to have a quick look at is uh, is a potential Teal uh, ind- or independent interesting race in the seat of Curtin. Yes, that's right. I um uh, I mean, I find this whole Teal Independent thing interesting. Again, we could probably unpack that on a whole separate episode. But um, uh, the 
there was a, yeah, so let's talk about Curtin. The seat was held by Julie Bishop since 1998. It's uh, generally always been a Liberal-held seat, except for the one time that the Liberal MP became an independent, but, you know, six and one, half a dozen in the other. Um, Celia Hammond, former, um, is, is, is the uh, um, MP for the seat now. Um, she's a former Vice-Chancellor of Notre Dame University, um, has been outspoken, some, some controversial views um, in the past, um, the Labor candidate is a guy named Yannick Spencer, who is a uh, works at a management consulting firm um, and a and a local. And then there's the independent um, who's running whom whose name is Kate Cheney. Cheney obviously being a, um, a good strong family name in Western Australia and former um, uh, senior local government representatives for or elected representatives and former uh, federal MPs as well. So she comes from good pedigree in that sense uh, and and understands uh, politics so no doubt would have had uh, conversations around the dinner table. Um, she's running a really well-resourced campaign. She, she's uh, just a, um, a bit more on her. She uh, is a uh, hails from a Boston consulting group background and also worked for West Farmers. And so her campaign is is very well resourced, and you could tell when you drive around the um, electorate of Curtin, there's a bit of a war of the signs, um, and you can see that there's a lot of focus going in from both uh, the Liberal Party and the Independent in in the seat. Um, it is a blue ribbon seat. Um, it is the only federal seat which has, um, you know, oh, there is a. a which there is one in the in the in the southwest region, but let's just say it like this: there is on, it is the only federal seat in the metro area which has a state liberal held seat in it, um, and that was uh, the seat of Cottesloe, which, um, despite every seat falling in twenty twenty one, it held. And you know, I think there should be a, a thorough investigation into that to work out why the Labor Party uh, let that one slip, um, but. Uh, I think that be, that gives you an indication that there is a um, more uh, loyalty to the party affiliation uh, in that area than anywhere else in the metro area. It's got what's known as the golden triangle of su- um, suburbs, so, you know, uh, very wealthy, very, um, uh, you know, very large uh, um, homes, very you know, the, the kind of demographic that lives around the foreshore of the the, the um, Swan River and uh, Claremont, Peppermint Grove, and Cottesloe, and there and you know adjacent also to the ocean. So it's just a it's old money as oh, I that's as well. that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, thanks. And uh, uh, Labor's um, uh, current. So there was a poll in the paper. Uh, the other day, which said that the primary for um, the Liberal MP Hammond is at 42, the primary for um, Kate Cheney is at 24, and the primary for the Labor candidate is at 20. Um, and somehow they got magicked up into a 2PP of 51-49 to the Liberal Party. So um, it's got, there's a bit of a vibe here that it's a, a potential uh, uh, um, to one to watch for the independent. But that being said, um, you know, I think it's a, I think at a primary of 42, you're pretty safe as houses um, in, a, in a seat like that. And I think that also um, there's a, there is a risk, if anything, that a, the Labor candidate doesn't poll third. Um, and so I looked back at the previous uh, primaries and while, you know, 2019, 2016 and 2013 and 2010, Labor's never polled particularly highly against a, a Liberal MP. In 2007, 
when in theory there was a bit of a swing on and a mood for change um, towards Labor, um, Labor actually got a primary of 24.5 and I th- in that seat. And I think that um, the circumstances of the of the 2007 election might have a bit of the same vibe as of, of now, um, a bit of a, you know, anti, anti-PM sentiment, a bit of a move for change and, and the need for a bit of fresh thinking. And I think that there's actually a risk that Labor polls second and not third um, and then compromises the ability for the independent to win the seat. Um, that that being said, on a primary of 42, I um, I struggle to see how anyone overcomes the Liberal MP. So you'll hear a lot, I think, about Curtin as a till, as a potential till independent pickup, but I actually look at it and go, um, I can't see a way that Hammond loses on a primary of 42. Okay, that's interesting. Look, um, so in summary, we're calling uh, uh, Labor's going to hold uh, the uh, seat of um, NRLE seat, um, which is the seat of Cowan. Sorry, my brain just went blank there. Um, and we'll hopefully pick up, looking to pick up Swan and Pierce and uh, Hasluck's a bit of a, in the maybe category, but just keep an eye on some of those other ones for um, a bit of fun on election night. Yeah, if the swing's on. Indeed. That's right. uh, Linda, Thank you so much for coming on the show uh, today. Um, wonderful to see you again. Um, what are your plans on election day? Where are you going to be hanging out? I'm in the seat of Cowan and the seat of Perth. Looking forward to helping out my friend Patrick Gorman, who was the state secretary when I was assistant secretary. Um, it's actually really exciting to be living in a federal Labor seat now. So we get to have his poster up on our yard. I've had the um, very important role at this election of guarding his um, bus stop sign. He's um, uh, which I make sure has got no um, graffiti on it every day when I catch the bus to work. So I'm pretty stoked about living in a labour seat and I can't wait to be helping out Patrick and Anne Ali and Cowan um, on the day. Fantastic. Fingers crossed we get a result on election night. And of course, you're, you know, you're seven or eight hours behind <laughs> East Coast time, so <laughs> we'll find out the results of how things go in WA probably Thursday afternoon after the election. That's but right. nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless we hopefully, hopefully, based on our numbers here, you're going to bring it home for us, so no pressure. Well, there was that. In 2019, um, as I was ripping down signs from a polling booth uh, in Stuart Hill, and I started getting these text messages from people saying, over to you, WA, at 6pm our time, I thought, oh, geez, we must not be getting there if everybody's sort of looking over at Western Australia to get over the line. But I think if we... If we could see seats um, um, go to Labor in New South Wales and a few of those others in sort of Victoria and South Australia and uh, keeping an eye on Tassie and hopefully picking up a few seats in in Queensland, um, then I think we are capable of bringing it home, but I'm not sure we're capable of bringing everything (laughs) to get us over the line. I know, indeed. We'll find out. Hopefully, as you said, hopefully it's done and dusted by the time we have to look to uh, Western Australia for those couple of seats that we talked about today. All right, Linda, be well. Thank you. Okay, we are in the final straight, the final quarter uh, of this monster podcast, the final state uh, in our analysis of the path to 76, and it's the Florida of Australian politics the Sunshine State, Queensland. Uh, and to help me uh, break that down is a former ALP national organiser uh, and now uh, the member for Logan in the Queensland Parliament. And he's been on the show before. Great to welcome him back. Linus Power, how are you doing? Well, uh, nervous as always before elections. I'm always a bit of a pessimist. Uh, but um, 
slowly I'm beginning to creep with confidence because um, it just the Liberals are beginning to look more and more desperate, which uh, encourages me. Queensland. So I'll give you an update, Linus, of where we're up to. So we've already spoken to uh, Elliot uh, Stein in uh, New South Wales. We've spoken to David Finney about Victoria, Tasmania in South Australia. And we've spoken to uh, an old colleague of ours, Alinda Sharlam in WA. Um, and the seats, so Labor needs to pick up seven seats to form uh, government in uh, the lower house. The seats that we've caught, the seats that we think that we're going to win, uh, if I go through it by state by state, in New South Wales, Reid and Benelong are the two seats that we think will jag. Uh, Boothby in South Australia, we're feeling bullish about that. Chisholm uh, in Victoria. Um, I'm parking Higgins. I got really excited about Higgins and um, I'm just going to park that for the time being, but I could change my mind throughout the week. Um, in Tasmania, David and I couldn't agree on what seat we were going to pick up, Brass or Baden. He'd heard things that said that we we're going to win Bass. I'd heard things we we're going to win Braddon. As I think about it more and more, we could possibly not win anything in Tasmania and it just it stays pat. Maybe we jag one. So let's say, let's for the sake of an argument, let's give us one there. Uh, and then in WA, Swan and Pierce are the seats that we actually feel good about. Haslark probably, we might think it might be a stretch too far. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, if we get a Tasmanian seat. So as you can see, we're setting it up for you, Linus. It is super, super close. Queensland, do not let us down. Where are we? How are we feeling about Queensland? And before we sort of move into the seats, that we want to win. Let's talk about the seats that we need to hold. And I want to start with a good friend of yours and mine. Uh, she's also been on the pod a couple of times as well, Terry Butler in the seat of uh, Griffith. How are we feeling about Griffith? Yeah. Um, I, uh, um, I've always felt pretty good about Griffith. Terry's a great local member, a hard fighter. Um, this is one of those things where you see the, what we've seen in this election is this real opening up of uh, LNP seats who felt the LNP hadn't done enough, which could have been a huge opportunity of the Greens. But instead, they're obsessed with destroying people uh, like Terry, who are fantastic arguments for the environment, for climate change, for social justice. Um, they're obsessed with uh, trying to attack Labor, um, whereas uh, they could have had much more opportunity in attacking in the seat of Brisbane or even in Ryan, uh, uh, but they've really put the effort into because they're obsessed with... Uh, fantastically good communicators, young women who are passionate about their local community, uh, who have so much to offer. The Greens actually want to target Labor in that way. Uh, but Terry, I think, and the local Southside campaign, shout out to the Green Slopes branch, um, I think that they've done um, a really strong campaign. They've focused on the fact that uh, Labor has a really strong message about climate change that we've stuck to consistently, that we're help funding health and education, um, and those things are, I think, will stand in good stead. I'm beginning to feel more and more confident about that, uh, despite what you know you might see Green say on the internet. I mean, to that point you just said before about that missed opportunity, I, I, and I don't want to talk about the teals uh, too much in this particular um, episode because we're trying to work out how, how Labor wins, not how independents get bums on seats. But if you're the Greens and you're doing a post-election analysis, you'd be asking yourselves, why the hell weren't we competitive in the seats where the teals are potentially going to jag seats because that's actually where they should be going because they're the type of voters that actually are the Greens' base. But instead, it just illustrates their preoccupation the Greens have and their absolute blind hatred that they have the Labor Party, that they can't look past the red seats, you know? 
Look, any honest analysis of um, uh, of a Greens campaign and looking where they put investment and where they put effort would be why are we trying to hurt progressive parties who want to look after people, want to make change on the environment and want to hold a 50% coalition together. Uh, but the Greens really um, have an obsession with the Labor Party. Um, we saw them take down the Deputy Premier of Queensland in the last state election, um, put huge amounts of effort into there um, and achieved nothing in terms of politics. Um, so, uh, or improving improving Queensland. Um, and uh, yeah, any analysis would shut down the Greens. So I don't think they'll be taking that hard analysis because uh, the analysis would actually make them think that we're actually hurting the, the, the stated objectives we have. Looking at the, the first preference votes by party going back uh, to 2007, at the 2007 uh, federal election, which obviously was a glorious election for Labor, the primary uh, for Labor was, we won on primaries, so it was 53%. Uh, the Greens primary then was 79 uh, Then the 2010 primary election, the Greens primary lifted to 15 and Labor's dropped to 44 At the 2013, the Greens primary actually dropped back down to 10 but Labor's fell again to 40 At the 2016 election, the Greens primary lifted back up to 17 That was a high watermark. Labor fell to 33 and then at the last election, the Greens uh, primary lifted to 23 and Labor's fell to 31. So you can actually, and the Liberal primary basically has been reasonably steady. So we can see a decline in the Labor's primary and a growth in the Liberal, in the Greens primary. Going to this election, how are we seeking to address that? I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on turning that around? Is it, is it, is it are we hoping for a national uh swing like a national mood to change government in which people then sort of go okay i need to give my vote back to labor because that's actually that's the main game um is you know is terry making good work at a, on a local level to actually start to arrest that slide that she essentially inherited from kevin rudd um and um or are some of the nuances within the say the climate change policy that labor has announced in the lead up to this campaign probably going to help address that slide in our primary what, what, what do you, i want to get your sense of what's the feeling on the ground there I mean, part of this is uh, the generic weakness of, of Labor in Queensland, because like any federal seat, it, it might include West End, which is, you know, a very inner city, uh, highly educated. But it's also got other areas where there's elderly people who are much more traditional Labor voters who um, are going to benefit from a, a lifted Labor primary altogether, um, where we're taking votes off the Liberals um, at this election. And uh, there's that tension between... Uh, being a Greens light and uh, being a much more uh, broader Labor. Um, and I think Terry threads that well because uh, she's passionate about those issues, a great advocate for them, uh, but also a very much a Labor person uh, and mm. can appeal to uh, people who are, you know, in the seat of uh, Green Slopes in commissioned housing. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, you've got to get that tension right. And I think she's getting that right. And she'll lift the vote from, um, uh, from, especially from taking votes off the Liberals, which is ultimately what we should be about. Uh, this, the betting odds, Terry's $1.25. The Green candidate, Max Chandler Mather, who's the name, as uh, we said before, is a name that comes straight out of Green's central casting, is $3.75. Uh, the Tories, 12 bucks. So it, the, the money suggests that it's a Labor uh, hold. Um, 
do you support that uh, view? Do you think Labor's going to hold the seat of Griffith? Yeah, I don't, I don't bet on elections, but um, yeah, I, I do. I, I um, speaking to people on the ground, there's a, a quiet confidence growing um, that uh, whatever threats were there, people want to be part of making this future with Terry because she's such a passionate person about the local area and passionate about those issues and matter people. Fantastic. Okay, now let's turn our attention, if we can put Griffith down as a labour hold, let's turn our attention to the seats that we need to pick up in Queensland. And just to sort of set the scene, I mean, there are 30 seats in Queensland. Uh, There are 39 seats in Victoria. I think Labor holds six or five seats in Queensland. Labor holds 24 in Victoria. Um, It's quite embarrassing for Queensland Labor. You know, having run the state government uh, consistently since 89 with only a few interregnums, um, it is something where we can get this message right for Queensland. Um, uh, We are very different, uh, but... That doesn't mean we're not we're anti-labor. That's not built in. It's not baked in. We can get there, and I think um, uh, there will be opportunities in government because the LNP with incumbency uh, can fearmonger so much that it makes it difficult, and they can't do that about the Queensland state government, who's it there and real and has recent recent history. Uh, so. Uh, it is really tough for Queensland Labor people to know that we hold back federal Labor governments in Queensland, um, but I, I think it's not built in, it's not baked in. It can change over time. Uh, absolutely, and it just shows you, I mean, the last time we really had success in Queensland was the 07 campaign, and ever since then it's been a real battle for you folks up there. And I'd point out those statistics not to embarrass people in Queensland, just but just also to illustrate the the, the, the enormity of the challenge that it is for Queensland Labor uh, to just peg a couple of seats. But we've identified three particular seats that we think that we're a good chance in, and I want to stay in the uh, suburbs of Brisbane for the time being. Let's cross the river and look at the federal seat of uh, Brisbane in which uh, the incumbent is uh trevor evans uh the seat is held by the tories by 4.9 so just almost five percent uh the labor candidates madonna jarrett uh, but also the greens are running as well a guy called stephen bates talk us through uh your thoughts about um brisbane yeah i think um all of these seats are tough all of the ones i'm talking about i'm not gonna be able to tell you it's a bit like the bass braddon thing i think there will be a win but where they are is i'm not absolutely clear um so I think that uh, Brisbane is a really good chance. It's the inner city seat of Brisbane. Um, remembering that Brisbane is not like Melbourne and Sydney with a massive banking uh, eastern suburbs. Um, uh, you know, we're a bit more of like a very, very big country town. Madonna Jarrett's a fantastic both old school and new school candidate. Um, she's part of that Labor tradition in that area, um, but also uh, works for Deloitte's and uh, real in their risk assessment. So knows about policy coming in from the future. Uh, Trevor Evans, um, I think people locally had hope about him, that he would help change the LNP. But really, he's been a party-line Canberra-Morrison guy for the most part and hasn't, unlike some MPs who tried to distinguish themselves from the LNP, hasn't uh, uh, changed on that. Um, again, just reflecting back on the sort of teal vote uh, kind of thing is that where there is no teal candidate, obviously the, they made a chance choice not to target Brisbane. The teal vote is for the most part going to Labor. Uh, this is people who are, have voted Liberal in the past, but are educated people who are thinking through um, uh, some of the future challenges we've got. 
uh, and that um, they're to some extent coming to labour and that's what's really encouraging about this seat because they might have put their trust in Trevor Evans because he told them he'd be a new type of Liberal. He really hasn't been. He's been uh, the Canberra line, the Morrison line guy, uh, which has been a bit of a disappointment, I think. For us uh, Southerners to understand Queensland politics, is it fair, and the, the, the diversity of the state um, through the, throughout the geography of the huge, massive land that, that the Queensland is, is the Griffith and Brisbane seats kind of the closest thing that we can equate to that inner city, Sydney, Melbourne kind of uh, vibe? Or is even Brisbane still very inherently Queensland as well? Like I, I'm just trying to work out in terms of um, looking where, if we can see a national trend of um, educated, middle class um voters that have maybe traditionally voted um, liberal but are, but are socially progressive, have sort of looked at the Liberal Party and said, enough, I'm done with that. And now they're looking to where can they, where can they cast their vote now? Are those two seats opportunities in which, well, let's, actually let's focus on Brisbane. Is that a seat where there is an opportunity for Labor to say, hey, you should come home to us because actually we are the party that kind of aligns with your values. Is that what we're, is, is that, because I think that's what's happening in Victoria. I think if we win Higgins, it's recasting the, 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 the way that voters look at the Liberal Party. And Elliot talked about this at the start of the podcast, which was, you know, Morrison has basically said, you know, stuff our blue blood wealthy base. We are going to try and grab out of sub- suburban and rural voters. And that's who we're going to become. Kind of like this, this, this sort of Nixon moment in the Republican Party. Um, what's your thoughts about that in terms of Brisbane? Oh, look, I, I see that going on nationally. One of the things about Brisbane is, as I said, it doesn't have the kind of institutional wealth uh, and intergenerational institutional wealth. Um, so, uh, and it's not as it's just not as big. So, um, Ryan, in some ways, is more of that wealth for a start. And look, there are p- pockets of um, Brisbane like Ascot that probably represent that. Uh, but it's not just suburb after suburb after the suburb. Um, and um, uh, it's different in that way in that it's a bit of more of a broader, uh, more representative of the entirety of Brisbane in both Griffith and, um, uh, and uh, Brisbane itself. Uh, so there are aspects of that, but not nearly, not nearly as strongly. The other thing about Brisbane is that we tend to be not an east versus west suburb because remember the richest parts in the west, but a uh, hilltop and, uh, you know, those sorts of suburbs surrounded by the valleys, which are much more traditionally working class, with a lot of gentrification going on. So we have pockets of really wealthy areas uh, that are surrounded by areas less so, and there's less of that east-west divide. So the geography of the city makes those two seats quite different. So, yeah, in essence, there are suburb by suburb, those dynamics going on, uh, but both Brisbane and Griffith um, are different than that. So how... How are we feeling about Brisbane then? I mean, the um, I'm just it appears certainly with the betting odds. Uh, you know, Trevor Evans is a dollar eighty five. Uh, Madonna Jarrett, Labor's candidate, is three bucks. Stephen Bates, the Greens, is four dollars seventy. Um, are we feel? I mean, like, are we feeling good about Brisbane? Because if we're feeling good about Brisbane, then um, ALP at three dollars is actually a good bet to take. But are we looking at that and saying? 
you know, shit, this is still this. I mean, it's still eight days to go, right? We're not, we're not. The election's still alive. Things can change. But are we? How are we feeling about prison? I think it's a better than one in three chance. Um, and I think uh, we're closing well. And Morrison's beginning to apologise for himself. And um, I don't think that works. Uh, so I think we're a better than one in three chance. Um, but uh, I wouldn't put it in the, the one category. So look, uh, my dad was my granddad was a, a greyhound and uh, thoroughbred. Uh, trainer, he'd probably be putting money on it, but not with the expectation of winning, but no, it would be splitting his bets and it's better than the odds show. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, it, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I know all the, yeah, gambler, all the gamblers that listen to this podcast will be going, oh, right, okay, gotcha, Linus. Okay, no, good, good, good. Yeah, you know, that's, that's super helpful. That's super helpful. Okay, let's park Brisbane for a moment. Why don't we look at these states in entirety? Let's move to, uh, why don't we move to Longman next? So uh, just 3.3%. Yeah, Longman's uh, based basically around Caboolture, Bribey Island. So the very, very far outer uh, north of Brisbane uh, on the road heading uh, north. So at the last state election, we saw a really extraordinary sing- swings where especially elderly people like on Bribey, who had been a real stalwarts of the LNP, swung really, really strongly to the Labor Party. Uh, and that was about the fact that we had a protective, conservative careful message uh, about COVID and about the strength and economy of the state um, and really swept the rug out from uh, the LNP. And we saw some actual strong movement of people who uh, had either maybe been Labor voters during their working lives, but had changed to be Liberal voters in the, um, as the world's moving faster for them uh, and uh, came to Labor. So the question is, uh, how much of that vote can we keep from the state election? Um, because the state, it's a lot of Labor state members in the area, um, and um, they did very, very well and had really strong swings. We saw Rebecca Fanning, who's the Labor candidate, the former health advisor, fantastic person. She um, showed her credentials where you had the Sky News debate, um, where effectively it was Sky News and the LNP ganging up on Rebecca, and she simply smashed them, uh, controlled, knowledgeable, uh, and really focused on what... uh, these issues mean for people in Caboolture and Bribe Island and those areas. So I think that, that if anyone goes and watches that, um, you're going to absolutely see what a fantastic candidate she was and what a great contribution she'd make and how she'd be a passionate uh, um, you know, advocate for uh, the Longman area. Um, this is an unusual one in that, if you remember the by-election we had, um, so we had the by-election uh, we won this, uh, uh, the previous election um, to 2019. Uh, we had the unfortunate thing of uh, historical British citizenship that was not known and then had a by-election, which we managed to win with Susan Lamb. Uh, then we went into 2019 and lost it. Uh, but there's only a 3.3% margin. We've got a very strong candidate. Uh, Terry Young looks out of his depth, even though he is the incumbent member, uh, though only relatively short time. Um, what... I was speaking to an organiser on the ground. Uh, he was telling me that uh, they are focused on both the seniors in Bribey Island, not possibly to win them in the way we did in the state election, but to get a better swing uh, with the rest- restoration of the urgent care clinic that was cut um, by the LNP, plus also getting more GPs in the area because that's a big issue. Uh, and then also focusing, so that's also, those two are both also family issues. 
but also cost, uh, focusing on the cost of living issue because there's lots of tradies who live in Caloundra who are building houses in the growing area. Um, so uh, his feeling was that the focus on cost of living and uh, the Liberals' indifference to uh, low-wage workers getting an extra dollar um, and uh, Albanese's, uh, uh, Anthony's really clear message about um, that we're on the side of workers, including those tradies, I think the message getting through, they're beginning to feel more confident about it. Um, so we need a good uh, finish for, the, uh, for this week um, and we could go over the line there. Um, but not easy. The other thing to add a complication to this uh, scenario is the uh, primary votes that will be attributed to minor parties. One of the biggest concerns I think we have, broadly speaking, is um, looking at the published polls anyway, that the, 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 the primary uh, votes that have been attributed to One Nation and to Palmer and also just other, you know, the, 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 where are these, I still want to know where the F is all these other, uh, which is a huge number, it's sitting around about 10%, where is that going to go? Where are those preferences uh, going to go? And looking at the, the nine, 2019 preference flows, uh, when you redistributed One Nation, Greens, United, all those kind of people, um, the total uh, of uh, non-Labor Liberal preferences was 27% in, in the seat uh, of, uh, of Longman. Uh, 66% of the One Nation preferences went to the Tories. 77% of the preferences for the Greens went to Labor, which stacks up just it normally is around about 75 to 80%. Uh, Palmer... 64% of their preferences went to uh, the Tories. Uh, Fraser Anning was running, but he picked up 2%. Uh, that, that vote there will go somewhere, but that was 70% of his um, votes um, went to, um, to the Tories. Strong connection there between Nazis and the Liberal Party. Um, so this is a concern for us. What are, your, what are your feelings going into the final week about this this? situation with where the f are these preferences going to go uh can we peel them off to actually get put a, a number one next to labor clearly people hate morrison that's i think that's the thematic we're picking up across this campaign everywhere up and down the country people hate morrison but where is their preferences going to go when they vote on election day well i mean we're the kings of other in queensland we're, we we give birth to them we try and send them down south and they... You uh, really do, actually. That's a very good point, Linus. Um, and look, uh, one of the things is is to compare the message that we had last time from these others, uh, which firstly had big money and they had big voices. Last time it was really consistently gunned and directly aimed at Labor. And the message was that uh, Bill Shorten's taxes are a threat to your family. And they were really articulate and clear about it and had huge amounts of money. This time, uh, the message is a lot more confused. Um, we've seen the One Nation sort of get into fights with the LNP about where they're preferencing and what they're doing. Um, they've also dropped away a fair bit. They haven't had that clear message. Uh, Palmer has been absolutely clear, freedom, freedom, freedom. Uh, but for what that means is a bit of a, you know, uh, a test to where, what you want it to mean. Um, and for many people, they're... Uh, seeing that government, as personified by Morrison, who's a bit of a bulldozer, as he's already explained, um, 
Some people say a lot stronger things than that. Uh, but uh, the, the direction of fire is a lot more scattered, let's put it that way. Um, so if you're a, a Palmer voter, you're not going to be someone who loves Labor, but you don't love politics, you don't love uh, you know, mainstream politics whatsoever. Um, so the message, is, uh, the message and task that, that Palmer's giving to people and sending to people is not stopped or shortened. It's a lot more complex than that um, and not easy to sum up. And uh, so I think that uh, that presents less of a, a, a really a strong danger, but also less of a danger in that. Um, and you've got to understand this, Palmer, like I, I imagine he spends a fair bit in Melbourne and Sydney, but the amount he spends in Queensland is extraordinary. Mm. Um, you know, every billboard and every piece of uh, ads uh, and front pages and, uh, you know, specials in the Courier Mail and things like that. It's really extraordinary how much money he spends in Queensland as a proportion. Uh, it's, uh, it's really quite extraordinary. But his message this time has been a lot less clear. So in summary uh, for Longman, um, in terms of... If we run, home, on... if we run clearly home on, on our urgent care clinic, more GPs, uh, and Morrison's failings of the cost of living. I can I feel positive about this. And look, um, yeah, ring up the Rebecca Fanning campaign uh, if you're in Melbourne and volunteer to call because you've got a really clear message about those three things. Um, Google them now, ring them up um, and uh, ask to say, uh, I want to make some calls to support Rebecca. I've just seen her on Sky, Sky uh, Debate. She was absolutely fantastic. And they'll know exactly what you're talking about and they'll give you the, um, some numbers to call. If you can be passionate about the fact that an outer suburban area needs urgent care clinics, needs more GPs, uh, and we need that focus of cost of living and decent wages for people who are working really hard in, the, in lots of uh, building and construction industries. Here, here. And that's something to point out as well. I mean, we're talking about, we're making decisions or, or, or making uh, predictions about seats that, um, these are just predictions. These are sort of we're speaking to people like Linus who have got insights on the ground to to get a sense of what it will look like on election day. But as we speak, we should also be cognizant of the fact that this election is still alive. Uh, these seats are still up for grabs. So um, get on the phones if you're not in uh, a marginal seat, um, and uh, if you are in a marginal seat, then get on those doors and and you know and have a chat to some targeted, undecided, or persuadable voters and actually win this win this thing for Labor. Um, the betting odds for uh, Longman, uh, Rebecca Fanning's $1.82, Terry Young, the incumbent Liberal, is $1.90. I mean, that really just shows you uh, the, the, how close a race it really is with uh, those uh, those numbers. It, I mean, that's a flip of a coin. And it also shows you that coming home with the right message is going to be the candidate that wins. Yep, definitely. All right. Uh, Last uh, seat to look at is the seat of uh, Leichhardt. Let's head up north into far north Queensland and not northern Queensland. I made that mistake when I went and campaigned in Cairns and got that pointed out to me very, very quickly on day one, thank God, because I was there for three weeks. Talk us through Leichhardt. Yeah, well, you've pointed out that it is far north Queensland and very different from Townsville in north Queensland uh, and Mackay to some extent. Um, all of these uh, cities have their own character. One of the things that you probably, people don't think, because they think of those coastal cities as sort of, a, and even Brisbane as an amorphous mass, is that Cairns and the Cape are very different from uh, Queensland. The Cape, of course, has these huge Aboriginal populations. Uh, and Cairns, you know, we talk about Gladstone or Townsville or, or Mackay as sort of industry towns based on one industry. Cairns is an industry town, but its industry is based on the environment. 
Um, people come from all over the world, making it a much more international place because of the nature of the Cairns environment, whether that's the Daintree, um, uh, the new walks that are going in, the external, the tablelands even, but especially the reef. Uh, so it creates a different uh, character of community in Cairns. And uh, people shouldn't underestimate that, that you know, Queensland has a lot of diversity in those places. Um, it's also one where, look, Warren Inch, we all remember famously he retired in 2007 um, and then uh, his candidate lost and then he came back. But each progressive election, he seems less and less interested. Um, and you also feel that he uh, bears Morrison through real gritted teeth. Um, uh, so he's there, they begged him to be there. He, he probably does, doesn't want to be there and is putting less and less effort into it. On the other hand, a lot of faith ran last time and lost. And I think it was one of those things is losing an election is never good. I know that personally, but it's a learning experience where you think, how could I have got those extra votes? How do I focus more on what people actually want? Um, and I think she's a stronger candidate this time. Um, uh, look, I, I um, called a, a bloke whom I know really well, a, a strong Labor supporter, but he's got very close contours into business. And he said that he thinks the, the movement's on uh, because uh, he's listening to business people who are reaching out to him to say, oh, how do I meet with her? How do I? And they're in those relatively small communities. Brisbane's a small country, a big country town. Kansas is one where people are interconnected and they're beginning to feel that the movement's on and, and that things are shifting there. So, look, yeah, from speaking to locals, they're extremely positive. Um, one of the difficulties is... Uh, I'm closer sitting here on the south side of Brisbane to Melbourne than I am to the CBD of Cairns. Mm. So remembering that uh, you wouldn't take me on any authority speaking about what's happening in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, um, uh, but because I'm technically in the boundaries of Queensland, I, I can have a view on, on Leichhardt and the Cape. So that's the other thing, the other thing to remember is how different uh, these communities are. Um, but speaking to locals, there's a real feeling of positivity that... Um, they're giving a light a, a, a second look, but also that uh, inch is fading, um, and uh, you know there's some positivity about that as well. When I was up in uh, far, far north Queensland working on the campaign in 2012, the state election campaign in 2012, yeah, I remember that FNQ is very different from the suburb of Far Q. That's the difference. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Near Q and Far Q. That's right. Um, yeah, just while I've done that, while since I've done that gag, um, the, uh, the, uh, working on the 2012 state election campaign, which obviously wasn't a, um, happy hunting ground for yours truly there, uh, Linus, but, um, the thing that I took away from being in Cairns was the amount of anger and resentment from people who were connected to the tourism industry, tourists. Oper tourism operators uh, to your point about working on the, on you know in the tablelands and in uh the you know the all the, the the forests plus the the reef itself they were lamenting the fact that um a lot of people weren't coming into uh cans from overseas and it was really really hurting their bottom line um, and they were saying we need more government support to prop up this industry because it's basically this is the biggest show in town and hearing you then say, talking to folks on the ground now who are in that same community saying, 
there is a mood on and people want to talk to Labor, I, you know, that bodes well because I just that was the underlying thing that was hurting us at the time in 2012. I thought that um, this is this was baked in, so to speak, that people were just just generally disappointed with the state Labor government at that moment. Um, and uh, and we you know we lost Cairns, the seat of Cairns, for the first time ever. Um, and I, you know, poor old Kirsten Lassima, she ran a great campaign, but. People weren't just people weren't listening, and Barwon River went as well. Another great Labor candidate. People, you know, just got lost in that wash. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping from what I'm hearing from you that uh, that community up there uh, have turned off uh, the libs and are now starting to turn their attention to Labor and hopefully, you know, park their vote with us and turn things around for them. Because I, I'm imagining, I mean, what was the experience like like up there with COVID? Like, I mean, were they did they experience some form of lockdown? They must have experienced some, like the fact that people couldn't come to this country because of the border restrictions. And I'm not making an argument for or against that, but there would be some level of anger towards the government for doing that because that would have hit the bottom line of those tourist operators in Cairns, right? Yeah, there was. Um, I think people had an understanding that, uh, and they didn't want in their community, uh, people coming in from overseas. They weren't prepared to do that risk. Um, they also, you also got to remember that uh, because Victorians and, and uh, you know, Melbourne, Sydney people were prevented from going overseas, when the borders were open, they rushed to Cairns. And I encourage everyone to start planning this, uh, this afternoon for a post-election trip to in winter to Cairns, the best time, um, fantastic place. Uh, but um, uh, so those Queensland shutdowns affected them as much. And I think there was a real understanding, but there was some sort of t- tiredness about it. However, what was frustrating was when um, uh, when Victoria and uh, Sydney went into a complete shutdown and weren't letting anyone travel whatsoever, um, uh, the, there was financial help for uh, Melbourne and Sydney, but none for a place like Cairns that was absolutely dependent. And not only if they'd said it sort of politely, look, we've got struggles and you've got to recognise that Melbourne and Sydney are going through a lot more, if they'd said, and what we'll do is do a package to get Brisbane people up to Cairns, if they'd said that sympathetically, but there was kind of an indifference to the plight. Uh, and there's a, you've got to remember, in tourism, there's a lot of working class people who, um, uh, you know, it's not uh, all big uh, developers and things like that. Th- these are a lot of industries that are based on people providing services, whether restaurants or tours or, or all sorts of things like that. Um, and uh, they just felt, well, you don't really care about us. So it was more that last bit because I think the people had a pretty good understanding of, about uh, international and uh, border closures. But when, uh, yeah, Victoria and Melbourne, uh, Victoria and New South Wales went into those extensive lockdowns, that and more people that were indifferent at the federal level to what Cairns was facing. So there you go, folks. Um, we've come to the end of this uh, monster podcast. We've been right across the country and we've tried to find a path to victory. And I think the wash up is that we're, we feel confident about six seats and then we've probably got four to five seats that we are not entirely sure about. And that's the two in Tasmania and the three that we've just talked about today. So right now as it stands, we are one seat short of government with um, four, maybe five seats that you know, we there's still a bit of work to be done. So the take-home message there is that this, you know, a week to go on this campaign. We're in the final week. Uh, there is people are still voting. Um, there, I mean, the 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 Australian election study um, research, which they do every election cycle, bears out that 
27% of voters make up their mind on the final week, 14% of them make up their mind on election day itself. People are still deciding whether or not they're going to vote Labor or Liberal. And the only way that we can have any influence on that is by speaking directly to those voters. And you can do that on the phones or on the doors. The, the national field program that the Labor Party runs is a weapon for us. Uh, it is far stronger than the Tories. The Tories basically are going to be relying on digital ads and TV ads and up until Wednesday night because then the blackout comes in and then there's basically going to need the front pages of all the Tory mag- magazines um, to run their headlines all the way to election day. So our weapon is to get out there actually and have um, meaningful values-based conversations with undecided or persuadable voters in marginal seats. And we've just listed off those marginal seats. So Reed, Benelong, Boothby, Chisholm, Higgins, Bass, Swan, Pierce, uh, Longman, Leichhardt and Brisbane, they're the seats that we need to be focusing on our energies on. They're the seats we need to flip to, uh, to to form government and win those 76 votes. So get out there and make a call or knock on a door. And you can do that if you're in Victoria. Go to thisislabor.org and put down your details and a field organiser will give you a call this week. And if you're outside of Victoria, go to the national page, which is alp.org.au. Uh, and then someone will give you a call as well. And as um, Linus just pointed out, Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Fanning just jump on her Facebook page, I reckon, or maybe her website and put in their details. And I reckon a field organiser will give you a call and give you some scripts if you're outside of Brisbane uh, to make some make some calls into that electorate and talk about why it's so critical that you vote Labor at this election. Um, to all of our people that have come on the show this week uh, for this, sorry, for this podcast, uh, Elliot Stein from Hawker Britain, uh, Linda Sharlam from uh, Seek Newgate, David Feeney from David Feeney, uh, and Linus Power, the member for Logan. Uh, thank you to all of you guys for coming on the show and being courageous and brave and putting your your your, your careers in the line by actually making some predictions, which is not easy to do. Um, a lot of people don't like to do that. They like to Monday quarterback and say, I told you so, but these people came on the show and actually did it and it's been recorded. Um, we really appreciate uh, your insights. We hope this has been super helpful to all of our listeners out there for this monster podcast. And thanks for sticking with us. And it'll give you some insight about what the seats are that you need to pay attention to on election day. We've got our final episode with David Feeney and Emma Dawson. It'll be up Thursday night this week. We normally put them up on Friday morning. We're going to record it Thursday, Arvo, but we'll get it up as soon as we possibly can. So you've got time to listen to it before election day. Uh, and then obviously make sure you go out and hand out uh, on uh, election day at your local booth. Make calls, knock doors. Uh, and let's hopefully we can bring this thing home. Linus Power, thank you so much for coming on the show. What's your plans uh, on election day? Where are you going to be? I'll be in with my great mate Jim at the Regents Park booth, but then also doing some stuff in Ford in the um, uh, with the hard work that the Ford campaign's doing um, uh, with Rowan. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a really good result. I'm beginning to feel more confident as we go forward. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll see you all on uh, Thursday night. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Thank you.